0: Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. My guest today is a friend of the show, fellow Lord of Cinder, and returning for his second episode of the show from the Dragon's Dogma episode, welcome back Adam Rivera.
1: Hello, just like Glitter, you thought you were rid of me, but I'm back.
0: (laughs) No, man, I found you stuck to every surface in the house, so welcome back to the show.
1: Glad to be back. I had a lot of fun last time.
0: Yeah, and that Dragon's Dogma episode uh, was uh, one of the more popular episodes of this show. So I'm glad to have you back uh, to talk to you about Dark Souls Three, which is a game that I know uh, you have a lot of things you want to talk about. I'm sure.
1: Oh yeah, Uh, Dark Souls in general, I got a lot of things to say. I think we might have even gone on a small tangent in the Dragon's Dogma episode.
0: We did. Yeah we we went on a little talk about how Dragon's Dogma is not really should not really be compared to dark souls even though a lot of people want to make that comparison but today we're talking about dark souls 3 and its dlc and dark souls 3 is an action rpg developed by from software and published by bandai namco in 2016 2016 that was a long time ago i thought it was more recent
1: i'm pretty sure i was a child then I might, (laughs) you know, I'm I'm 30 something years old, but I feel like, you know, 2016 was so long ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I remember I got Dark Souls three as a present for graduating kindergarten. And now we're here (laughs) we're playing Elden Ring and life is good. So uh, I want to get into some just opening thoughts about Dark Souls three before we get into it. Um, In particular, I think that Dark Souls three is one of the ones that's like Malai, like Dark Souls one is like this sacred game for sure. the, the community. Dark Souls 2 is very divisive in the community. And I feel like Dark Souls 3 is also pretty divisive, but maybe only within specific subsets of the Souls community.
1: Um, It depends on what you play Souls for is what I've noticed. Like, if you're there for the story, which is super evocative and like this weird thing that was in part one, you're not a big fan of 3 because it kind of... You know, throws that stuff, not necessarily in the garbage, but it's definitely a redheaded stepchild.
2: Yeah, um, story
0: wise, for but sure.
1: Yeah, the story, that's where that's at. The gameplay, though, if you play Dark Souls exclusively for the hitting things with swords, people love this game. And it's for good reason, because it's one of like the stronger mechanical entries in the series.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the big takeaways I took because I replayed this recently as I was like kind of getting my muscle memory ready for Elden Ring. Um, That was one of the big takeaways that I had was that this game is a blast to play, and I'm not somebody who plays Dark Souls for the story. So I came out of this like mostly really, really positive on Dark Souls 3. Like my opinion is set in stone now. I think this game is really good. Uh, There are some things that really pissed me off. We'll talk about in a little bit but like that's mainly contained to the dlc the the base game of dark souls 3 i think is a really good game unless you're the type that's gonna let like you know weird story fan service stuff get to you
1: yeah i could i can definitely see that i think i landed somewhere similar in that i enjoy the act of playing dark souls 3 i less so enjoy the act of thinking about dark souls 3
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Anytime you sit down and start thinking about anything that's going on, you're going to be like, huh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense or that's pretty fucking stupid. But uh, I'm not really the type, as I've said on the show before, I'm not really the type that really thinks deeply about what's going on in these games. I'm much more like play first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, opening thoughts, good game. Uh, before we get into our personal histories, here is the Tales from the Backlog spoiler policy for Dark Souls 3. We are going to go, of course, no spoilers for a while. Um, we're going to save the like detailed story stuff for the spoiler section, as well as discussions of our favorite bosses and our favorite levels and what makes them our favorite and stuff like that, because a lot of that is stuff that... I think you should experience for the first time unspoiled, uh, unless you don't really care about spoilers. But same spoiler policy that we normally have for the show, especially for the From Software games on the show. So we're going to start with our personal histories with Dark Souls 3. Guest always goes first. Adam, if you can remember, what was it that made <clears throat> you want to play Dark Souls 3? And I assume you've, re- you've replayed it recently. So what made you want to replay it?
1: The replay came on the tails of me kind of examining the series separate from the podcast. This was before you had invited me back. Um, Dark Souls 1 is one of my favorite games and my favorite of the series. So I played Dark Souls 1, had as good a time with it as I ever do, and started thinking about like why don't I enjoy three as much? So I kind of played them back to back, which is something I don't normally do. Like I usually give it some space. Either I'll come back to it like a few months down the road, or I'll play two in between just as a series kind of play through. But I've never done it like credits on dark souls one switch out the disc dark souls three time. Mm-hmm. So that's where I ended up playing three again, most recently.
0: Yeah, that's, it's a big difference in gameplay. To go straight from one to three, I think Definitely, Or to yeah. go straight from three to one um maybe an even bigger difference in like the way your character handles and stuff like that
1: yeah it you're trying to push a car downhill as opposed to uphill yeah. depending on which way you go
0: <laughs> right right, so did you play Dark Souls three uh when it released did you play it when it was current
1: uh no ish uh, I came to it when it was still contemporary but it was removed from the launch window. Okay. Um I got it when it released the I guess game of the year edition that included all the DLC with it. Right. Yeah, so that's when I finally picked it up because I until the most recent nameless from game that came out, I've <laughs> never really bought uh one of their games at launch.
0: Yeah, same here. So I came to Dark Souls 3 in maybe 2019 when I first got a PS4, cause that was the first uh, console I had in that generation. Um, so people who listen to the show know that I'm a huge fan of from software and on the show already, we've covered uh, dark souls one we've covered bloodborne we've covered Kingsfield four. Um, and there's going, there are going to be episodes about um, the most uh, recent from soft game Um which Adam and I both had to tear ourselves away from to record this episode. <laughs> and um, uh, there will be Demon Souls and Sekiro and Dark Souls 2 episodes too. Like th- those will be coming. But I bounced off of Dark Souls 2 when it first released. Uh, so before the Scholar update, I played it and I was like, you know, this is kind of bullshit, uh, which is a thing that I think a lot of people said at the time. Uh, oh, but, yeah, I definitely did. Yeah so when I bought a PS four and I was like looking on the store, I like almost had forgotten that dark souls existed at the time. And I was looking on the store and I was like, Oh, there's a dark souls three. That's cool. And it's $10 on sale right now. All right. I'm going to buy that with all the DLC, like you said, Adam. Yeah. Um, and I, I either played bloodborne and then dark souls three or the other way, like back to back. And those were some of the first games I played uh, on the PS four. So um, yeah, I came to it a little bit late, and I also replayed it to get my Elden Ring muscle memory um, before Elden Ring dropped. And we're recording this in the first couple weeks of the Elden Ring uh, release, uh, but this um, this was kind of like my warm up before Elden Ring came out. If, uh, if anyone's curious how long Dark Souls 3 takes, I'm including the DLC in this playtime. My first playthrough, I think, was about 60 hours, 55 to 60 hours for the whole game, both DLCs. I replayed it, and it took me about 35 hours, but that's because I didn't play much of The Ringed City. (laughs) So the base Uh. game and Ashes of Ariandel took me about 35 hours. So like these are not short games. Um, This one... This one is one of the longer of like the From games, I think. It's about the same as Bloodborne, if you play through the yeah, whole uh, game, I think.
1: I would say it's meaty, but it's not like JRPG long, no. <laughs> uh, 80 to 100 hours.
0: It's not Elden Ring long. We can tell it's that. It's not Elden already. Ring <laughs> long. Yeah.
1: Um, but it's. Uh, I would say it's longer than Dark Souls 1, shorter than Dark Souls 2, just yeah. by layout. Because... Or we'll get to this later. But yeah, uh, I put it right in the middle in terms of length.
0: Yeah. So I have, I uh, checked my PS4, it says I've spent 95 hours playing Dark Souls 3. That's across two playthroughs. How about you, Adam?
1: Uh, I've actually have more than 200 hours logged on this game. Most of it, probably about 150 hours, is just on one character doing New Game Plus over and over again. Uh, because I, for some reason, decided to try and trophy chase on this one.
2: Oh, okay. which
1: which is a nightmare to do on three especially if you're not doing multiplayer oh, uh because yeah because there's all achievements for getting certain amounts of uh covenant items which is like some multiplayer stuff that we'll get into mm-hmm. uh but i don't do multiplayer so i had to grind them from the in-game enemies that would drop them which they all have abysmal drop rates
0: oh yeah <laughs> one in so, 128 drop rates and yes, stuff like that
1: stuff like that so a large majority of the time came from that playthrough and like other achievements involve like getting all the rings which some of them don't show up till at least like new game plus two so you have to beat it at least twice Ah, oh,
0: jeez. did you get that uh did you get that like um that you're playing on xbox right so did you get that yeah. um Master achievement or whatever they call it on Xbox.
1: There actually isn't a like a platinum equivalent on Xbox. Oh, it's which just is, got them all. Yeah, it's just if you look at the game, it'll say 100.
0: Right. So, did you get all of them?
1: Yeah, I, I am 100 on this one: Dark Souls One and Bloodborne.
0: Okay, sweet, good, good, good. I was going to say that would suck if you put in 200 hours and you s- still weren't oh, able yeah. to do that.
1: <laughs> just to clarify, I didn't go full sicko mode and like do it all at once. Like this was spread out over like two years okay
0: okay that's good yeah that sounds like something that could grind you down even in a game that you enjoy playing
1: yeah so um if i do trophy chasing like that it's never all in one sitting
0: okay right on all right let's uh let's take a little music break and then when we get back to it we will get into what dark souls 3 is all about So Dark Souls 3, starting with the story, um, and this will be slight, like we say, number one, because um, as much as I love playing this game, I don't know everything about the story. And also because we're going to save some critical spoiler things for uh, the spoiler section, of course. So the story is that the Age of Fire that we talked about in Dark Souls 1 is once again coming to an end. The fucking Age of Fire loves ending. And yep. so it's the same kind of loop that Dark Souls 1 was about. You, Someone needs to link the fire to prolong this age of fire. Let us continue having life uh, the way we know it and stuff like that. And so what that is, for people who don't know, is when a very powerful uh, person basically sacrifices their soul uh, to keep the fire lit. Um, but uh, the newest Lord of Cinder the person who's supposed to do this uh, named Prince Lothric has uh, decided not to. So what happens is a a bell tolls, uh, which is resurrecting all of the previous people who linked the fire, just trying to get anybody to go do this. Right?
1: Yeah. My impression is that when they brought back the older dudes, it was to uh, somehow basically get Lothric to, get in there either by force or dialogue or whatever uh but unfortunately that doesn't work out they all decide to go about their own business and it's left to us
0: yeah so it's left to you your character as in all of these games your character is basically a oh an undead kind of uh, like dark souls 1 a chosen undead except in this game you're called uh the ashen one you are an undead who in the past uh, has failed at this quest to become a Lord of Cinder. Uh, and They call you an unkindled. I'm just saying these, this terminology. I'm not 100% sure what it all means, but you are an unkindled. They'll keep calling you this throughout the game. And your task is to either link the fire by returning uh, Prince Lothric, or your task is to return Prince Lothric and all of the other Lords of Cinder who basically fucked off and decided to do what they wanted to do instead. Yeah. Uh, Bring them back to their thrones so that the fire can be relinked. Um, This story is told through cryptic NPC dialogue and item descriptions as always. So this is basically the extent of like what I know about what's happening and why it's happening. Everything else I know about the story is basically like just what's happening. Um, Because I'm not it is just not a part of me to sit down and read all these item descriptions and stuff. So Adam, how about you? When you play this, are you digging for lore, reading item descriptions and stuff like that?
1: Um, I will, I'm not a lore digger. Uh, my main understanding of all the series lore comes from YouTube videos, which there's a whole plethora out there of people that do amazing jobs with this kind of stuff. Uh But I will say for the series, Dark Souls 3 is actually the most direct that story gets. Um, Because Dark Souls 1, you're given facts of what's happening, Mm -hmm. but not the why or how. Mm -hmm. Dark Souls 2 is kind of the same thing, but it's also very much a mess, which is why they basically had to put out two versions of that game. Yeah. (laughs) But this one, it's everything is very directly told to you that you need to know that all this information that we just said is in the opening cut scene right. that someone's supposed to light the fire. They didn't. We brought back the B team to try and get that guy in or to resolve the problem. They didn't work out. So now the minor league player is being brought up right. to the pros to see if he can get any movement.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And you're right this may be the most descriptive of the opening cutscenes, And so therefore you do have a better idea in this game of like why you're going on this quest in Dark Souls one, they kind of give you like the history of the world, but then they just set your character off and then you're only finding out the why throughout the course of the game. As far as I know. And Dark Souls two was a total mystery to me when I played that.
1: And that's, you're only getting the story in one if you talk to the right people. Right. If you miss dialogue in any way, if you like kill the character or just never find them, like you're missing out on tons of information.
0: hmm Yeah. And that's true in Dark Souls 3 also, but you will at least get like the reason for your quest, uh, which is... Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is something that like, you know, you in these games, you're always going around, you're killing all these bosses you're basically you're killing everything you come in contact with and this game at least tells you why so like there's a lot of people like we said earlier and us included who are a little bit dissatisfied with the story but like this aspect of it um i think is very helpful and it's the same uh in elden ring too they're at least telling you why you're doing the stuff that you're doing so yeah yeah overall what do you think about the story in dark souls 3 without spoilers uh, as it progresses
1: without spoilers i will say there are pockets of it that i think are really good and strong uh but unfortunately like a lot of it is not not even like not good for the game but also not even good for like what the series is Mm -hmm. like there's Like, this has some of the strongest stuff in the series, but at the same time also contains a lot of the weakest stuff. Yeah. And I'm sorry for my phone. No worries. But that is where it lands. Like, it kind of like a weird middling because it's high highs, low lows.
0: Yeah. I think this, I think Dark Souls 3 has some very good moments, kind of like you said, of story as you go. Like, a particular NPC's story will be cool, or like the story behind one boss will be cool. And then yeah. There are other like moments that are really stupid, I think, which we'll we'll talk about in the spoiler <laughs> section. And then overall, I don't know, this this kind of just works as an end to the series as people know this is the last Dark Souls game at the time we're recording this, this is the last Dark Souls game that will be planned. So this does finish the story and I kind of like I kind of like some of the storytelling in the environments that you're going through, especially in the DLC and stuff like that. I like the way that they show you what's happening in the story, but a lot of the beat by beat stuff is pretty forgettable on a level that like I wouldn't say about Bloodborne or Dark Souls 1 or I, I guess I couldn't say that about Dark Souls 2, because I don't remember much about the story there. But yeah, that's that's kind of what I think about the story here. So moving on from story talk, as I literally have nothing else to say about the story for now. Um <laughs> let's talk about difficulty. As we as we're talking about a Dark Souls game, difficulty is the lightning rod. So let's I'm not even gonna compare this to other games how do you feel about this difficulty relative to the rest of the Dark Souls series or maybe other FromSoft games?
1: Uh, Relative to the Souls series, uh, you know what? I never even mentioned this. I should put this disclaimer out there. I'm talking from a position of never having played Demon Souls. So everything I'm comparing it to is just Dark Souls Mm. and Bloodborne. Uh, But in terms of difficulty, I would say that this one isn't the hardest But it's definitely in like the top half, maybe the top like two thirds. um, Because you get a lot of issues from the gameplay having been sped up, which we can go into more detail later, uh, while also trying to maintain the kind of souls deliberateness that was created with Dark Souls 1. So those two things like clash together in a way that doesn't always feel good uh in terms of like how having to fight certain enemies or having to deal with certain things in the environment but yeah it's if this is your first souls game it's definitely going to be a rough time if it's your not first souls game you're going to have a leg up but i think you're still going to run into some issues yeah
0: and I was gonna say this later, but I can just say it now like I don't recommend this for somebody's first uh, from soft game even though it is the most modern there's a little bit of quality of life stuff. I still think you should play Dark Souls 1 One first. Um, not only is that the beginning of the story, but it's also I think it's easier. actually Demon Souls is easier than that in my opinion so that's a good starter point too. Um, I think this is the hardest of the Dark Souls series or the souls series. And I guess it's a little bit easier than bloodborne because you have shields and magic and more, you know, more ways to make the combat a little bit easier on yourself than in bloodborne. In my opinion, this is definitely easier than Sekiro. I think if we want to bring in all four stuff (laughs) and at the time of recording, I'm about 30 hours into Elden ring I think Elden Ring is a bit easier than Dark Souls Three, but um, I I know there's some difficulty coming later in Elden Ring. So just like among the the games that I've finished, I think this is one of the more difficult ones.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm a, quite a bit further than you in Elden Ring. I can say there is definitely a ramp up happening okay. right now.
0: <laughs> so. Uh, Yeah, This the way that Dark Souls 3 is more difficult is that it is uh, mostly because it wants you to follow the same rules that you've been following in Demon's Souls, Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 2, but the game is a lot faster. It's like you're playing by those same rules, but things move at the speed of Bloodborne. And with that comes some issues where enemies... I feel like this is the only game where there are a lot of enemies that just don't play by the rules that they should be playing by, you know, with regards to stamina and having limits to their combos and stuff like that. So you're managing your stamina the way you do in these games, but it doesn't feel like the enemies are playing by that same rule. Sometimes, especially some bosses and then some, uh, some regular enemies later in the game. So, It does kind of, like, get into bullshit territory, in my opinion, sometimes, but it's not that often, and in the base game, I don't really think it's a huge problem.
1: Yeah, the base game, I don't want to say has the sense to end, but it definitely ends before it gets too egregious.
0: (laughs) They saved all the egregious stuff for the Ringed City, I think. So, yeah. anyway, (laughs) yeah, uh, this just to wrap that that point up this game is more difficult than the early dark souls games and i guess if you if you're if you're someone who like by the time this episode comes out many people will have at least made significant progress into elden ring if you're the type to buy it right away if you are getting very far in elden ring or beating elden ring you can beat dark souls 3 it's probably not that big a deal unless you really rely on that horse so um, we talked about game speed. It is a lot faster, and that's going to be the first kind of uh, lead into this section on how Dark Souls 3 is different from the regular Souls formula. And uh, what we're not going to do is we're not going to explain what Dark Souls mechanics are. I have several episodes at this point. Go listen to the Dark Souls 1 episode or you know, Death's Gambit or Bloodborne Lots of episodes explaining those mechanics. We're going to talk about what's different. So other than game speed, uh, one of the big differences, you have two different types of Estus in this game. You have um, a new bar uh, with, it's called FP, but it's basically your magic meter. And you have an Estus flask for refilling magic too. So what you have to do is you, you still have the same number of flasks, but now you need to divide it between refilling health and refilling magic. Adam, how did you, how do you feel about this uh, splitting up this kind of sacred Estes system in dark souls three?
1: Personally, I've never minded it simply because there's a bunch of ways to mitigate both. If you're like willing to experiment with the systems Uh, So typically, if I play a caster, I'll have like a 70-30 split of like health Mm -hmm. to magic. And that usually gets me from like encounter to encounter, bonfire to bonfire. Uh, But this was the first time I had to deal with this system because it was like the first quote-unquote mana bar in Dark Souls. I, I know it has it in Demon Souls, but prior to this, it was all based on whatever spell you're using. This spell has X amount of casts. Until you get to right. another bonfire. So, like, you get seven fireballs. Whereas this one, it becomes a lot more fluid in that you can use your MP meter to shoot these fireballs, or you use them for other things that can draw it from, like, things that are built into your right. weapons. And of course, it's all rechargeable. There's ways to get a mana regen that comes passively. So it opens up a big avenue for experimentation while also kind of being a little more restrictive because if you were a caster in the previous games, you could just switch to another spell and -hmm. have more casts. Whereas this one, you're out of your bar, you're out of your bar.
0: Yeah, what I used to do in the other games is like if I'm playing a sorcerer, I would, you know, I would double up. So instead of having 30 soul arrows, I would attune that twice, and I would have 60 soul arrows, and you can't do that in this game. Mm -hmm. But like, so have you played a caster character in Dark Souls 3, or a character that really relies on weapon arts?
1: Uh, I've done both, Uh, one caster and then one like sword and board guy that used a DLC weapon Mm -hmm. that i really liked the weapon art on, so I kind of like really invested in it for it which is like this sword it's a normal one-handed long sword until you hit the weapon, art button. And then it becomes like this giant flaming lightsaber. I don't know. It's the ringed knight sword. And I think that thing is rad. It's
0: super cool. So like I personally, when I first heard of this system of like, you know, I'm going to have to choose. I can't just have 15 heals If I'm going to have a caster, that means I can heal less because I have to refill my magic sometimes too. I thought that was going to tank any enjoyment I had of playing a caster character. Uh, but on my replay, I played as a pyromancer and really heavily relied on magic. And it, it was actually easier to go through the game because magic makes this game easier uh, than just playing all melee. So I thought this was going to suck. And I ended up being like, no, it's actually fine. It's not a big deal. I don't, how did you feel?
1: I felt it was okay too uh I play casters kind of like just their archers, like be far away from whatever I can as far as I can and hit them before they can hit me, so it's like all about like stacking damage and killing things as quickly as possible, right. so it was good in that kind of sense of balance, and like I'm already specking to cast as little magic as possible for the mm. most effect
0: what, so what the way I played it was I always had just a bunch of like kind of low cost spells like your basic fireball as a pyromancer. And I would just throw a couple of those to soften up an enemy. And then by the time they got up to me, it only took one, you know, melee hit or two melee hits to take them down. So I didn't go like full casting all the time with my most powerful stuff. So I was still able to have like, you know, Mm -hmm. if I have 15 Estus, I was still able to go like 12 healing Estus and three, you know, magic Estus, basically. So I know with that play style, it wasn't so bad. And then maybe if you're playing as like a, a faith-based character, if you have a bunch of healing spells, then you can use uh, magic for that and stuff like that. But I didn't really think this was a a big deal. Um, the other thing this uh, FP controls, which we mentioned before, is every weapon and correct me if I'm wrong, every shield too, Right. Every shield? Or is that Um, only an Elden Ring that every shield has a a weapon art?
1: Yes and no. It depends on how you Mm -hmm. want to look at them. Um, Because some shields, their weapon art is the ability to use whatever's in your other hand without having to two-hand it. Gotcha. Because typically if you want to use the art that's on your sword in Mm -hmm. your right hand, you would have to hold it in both hands and then use the weapon art button. Whereas some shields, they just allow you to okay. skip that step.
0: But like some shields have like a shield bash. Uh, when you press L2, instead of parrying, some shields will have a shield bash <laughs> and some shields will parry. And But every weapon has a, a distinct weapon art and using those uh, uses FP as well. So even melee characters should be, will probably be paying attention to this FP sometimes. Although like... um when I play a like a pure melee character, I will carry like one magic estus in case I use my weapon art against some really hard enemies. But uh, I, I really don't really don't rely on weapon arts all that much, uh, especially in Dark Souls Three. But they are there. This was the kind of beginning of this system, and this is something that they've carried into Elden Ring. So if we talk about Elden Ring in this section, it's because a lot of these. Things started in Dark Souls 3, then they brought them into Elden Ring. And weapon arts were definitely one of those, uh, as well as this dual Estus system.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a great success in Elden Ring. Like for Dark Souls 3, I could probably count on the times on two hands how many times I used a weapon art in my first playthrough, just because I didn't think they're that useful. And then FP was another resource I didn't want to have to worry about like maintaining. But in Elden Ring, they gave you so many options to not only customize these things on weapons, but also made them across the board more mm-hmm. useful. Like they just have more utility. So it's something that's way more integrated than it was here. Like this feels very much prototype compared to what right. we got in I
0: Elden Ring. I think the most use I ever got out of a weapon art in Dark Souls 3 is the one on the dagger that lets you just like slide across deep water you know like I never really used uh never really used weapon arts in combat all that much but the dagger has one that makes you do this quick step and you instead of like mucking through these you know poison swamps you can basically just like skate across them using the weapon art that's about as much as I use them in Dark Souls 3 but some of them are really cool so uh another thing that has been I think been slowly increasing uh, throughout the series is that Dark Souls Three has a, a lot more bonfires than Dark Souls One, especially. But I I'm pretty sure it's got quite a few more than Dark Souls Two, like per area. So one of the things that makes it again this helps make this like dual estus system okay for me is that you're not going forever in between bonfires. It's usually like you know, there's usually like three to four bonfires in every level. So you are, you're really not struggling. There's a couple of levels that go by that like old, you know, one bonfire with a bunch of shortcuts system, but there's a lot of levels in dark souls three that yeah. it's a straight line with several checkpoint, you know, bonfires along the way. And that really helps with this dual estus system. And it really helps with how, how many more enemies I think you fight like just generally how difficult it is, I think.
1: Yeah. This is something that was a carryover really from the design of part two where it wasn't like dark souls one, you're designed to try and marathon it, like try to survive Mm -hmm. to the next bonfire dark souls two and three, you're sprinting between bonfires. Like you'll have one or two very intense encounters that'll likely drain a lot of resources but the next bonfire Mm -hmm. is like right around that
0: corner. And like every boss gives you a new bonfire, which is something that Dark Souls one didn't do. Uh, That is a, like a hard rule in Dark Souls three. As soon as you beat a boss, it will give you a bonfire.
1: Yeah. And it, it's a rule that I wish was like retroactively integrated into one. It's like the one thing I want because uh, there's a couple bosses where if you're not careful, like you'll beat the boss and then get killed by something like two rooms later, that's obviously there to kill you. And then like, you know, Dark Souls is Dark Souls. You'll lose your souls. Then you're nervous for getting all the boss souls back. Um, it's Yeah, this is like the one thing that like could really be helpful
0: <laughs> you, in older uh, games. I recently have started up a a Switch playthrough of Dark Souls 1, and that's you beat the Taurus Demon, you get all your souls, and then you, you go out on... It's like <laughs> a while before you get to the next bonfire, and you're going to die. I always die to the rats under the Dragon Bridge, and you have to go all the way back to the Undead Berg bonfire, uh, before you can like get back and you know maybe make it uh to the uh undead parish bonfire uh, so uh, there uh, that's right there is a shortcut um but
1: I was gonna say I was like wow uh because the big issue with that area that you're talking about that I always freak out about is the Hellkite tree yeah. that's on the bridge because you'll come to this bridge and then there's just a dragon that'll breed fire all over it, and if you're not ready for it it will kill you and you'll lose all your boss souls before right. you get the, sh- the exactly. shortcut. Yeah. So that's one big example of what I'm talking about. The second one is the depths after you fight the gaping dragon. If you don't backtrack to the bonfire, if you keep going forward, you'll go into blight town, which is like across the board, the fandom hates that area. Right. And, and it kills you real easy.
0: You're, you're almost guaranteed to die to some enemy or fall off, you know, some weird slope on those things in mm-hmm. Blighttown. town and lose your souls. But anyway, back to Dark Souls 3. That's yeah. <laughs> not really an issue. In Dark Souls 3 um and in Elden Ring I found too, it's a pretty viable strategy that if you're running out of resources, just like sprint in whatever direction you think is the right direction, you'll probably find a bonfire sooner or later and I really appreciate the, the, the bonfires after bosses, people like to, you know, make fun of the whole, like, Oh, I can see this bonfire from the other bonfire, but it's, it's just because they have this hard rule. Like every boss gives you a bonfire <clears throat> as soon as you beat it. And I appreciate that. Cause you know, don't want to lose your, the, all the souls you get from beating a boss. So, um, another thing that's new in dark souls is, uh, I think is an improvement over what they were going for in Dark Souls 2, uh, which is the Ember system in Dark Souls. And so this kind of combines the like losing your health when you die mechanic in Dark Souls 2 and the like becoming human uh, from Dark Souls 1 to use multiplayer. So after you beat a boss, you become Embered. Your character will get some bonus health. And in Dark Souls 2 they took health away from you when you died. So being at full health was like, it felt like a bonus, right? It felt like that's not the, it's not the natural state of the game.
1: Uh, For Dark Souls 2, yeah, it kind of feels a little bit more like when you're at full health, this is the time to shine. You know, like you do that for bosses, you do that for like difficult stuff when you need the boost. For this one, it's more like, it is like a bonus. Like you have your normal health meter and then in like, say you want to go into a boss, you know, a little more beefy, you can engage this on, uh, it definitely helps not to have the visual of like how dark souls two has your full health bar, but then whatever section of it is blocked out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it depends on how long you it's died.
0: Pretty demoralizing sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, for this cool. one in general, the Ember system is a very streamlined version to me of what was in one. Uh, because you have a binary state enkindled or not. DS one had you're either human or not. Uh the main thing they stripped out of it was that humanity also determined item drop rate in one. hmm And as far as I can tell, that's not part of this one here. It's all about just stats and multiplayer.
2: Right.
0: So you get these consumable items throughout the game. And I I think at the I didn't use these a whole lot. Um except in like really hard bosses so i think at the end of the game i had like 60 embers or something like that you get quite a few of them and you can buy them from some merchants and stuff so what you do if you want to kind of engage with this is you use these items called embers Uh, you'll get this hp boost and you will connect yourself to uh, being able to summon help or be able to um, be invaded and there's some very clever and dickish pvp spots where because this happens automatically yeah. after you beat a boss you get embered and then there'll be some pvp spots like right after the boss room so you're feeling good oh yeah just beat a boss then as soon as you step out you get invaded and uh <laughs> yeah.
1: there's one spot in particular that is like the pvp zone simply because like it's a very flat wide area mm-hmm. and it is immediately after a boss room <laughs> yep
0: and uh, you're talking about after Pond of Sullivan, right?
1: Yeah, after Pond of Sullivan, yep. there's like, it already looks like a stadium arena type thing. So you're coming out already enkindled. You know, like I don't think I've ever gone through there and not been invaded. Yeah. And I'm just not looking for that, but it just happens. Yep.
0: Same. I remember my first playthrough, that boss was so hard for me and I was in such a good mood. I got, you know, I was embered up feeling good go outside i immediately get pulled into a fight club there's like seven people in there and it was a disaster for me so yeah that is the uh embering system i think it's more intuitive than the humanity system in dark souls one and i think it is uh a little it makes you feel better than the health system in dark souls two um so yeah yeah Uh, Let's take a little music break. When we come back, we'll get into a, a few kind of nitty gritty changes and then a couple of big ones for Dark Souls 3. Moving on with the changes in Dark Souls 3. The first one is uh, there's a new stat. It's called Luck. I have never put a point into it. I think it controls your item drop rate and stuff like that. There are also some weapons that scale with it, but from what I hear, uh, they got nerfed in some patches, so I never tried it. Have you ever messed with Luck at all?
1: Um, Only because of the farming I was doing that I mentioned earlier. I juiced that stat real hard just to get things to drop as much as possible. But yeah, like you said, anything that scales with it in the game uh, usually doesn't feel worth it.
0: Right. So there's like some special weapons that in order to do good damage, you have to pump up the luck stat, which uh, from what I hear at release was really good, but they patched it and now it's not as good. So um, if you're into dual wielding weapons and powers thing in dark souls 2 you can't really do that in dark souls 3 as well it's not like a you know ingrained mechanic i think they brought this back for elden ring but in dark souls 3 if you want to dual wield you have to pick a weapon that is like by default dual wielding like twin blades or something like that
1: right yeah there's certain weapons that are these are two of whatever weapon like there's knives, there's katanas, there's spears, Mm -hmm. there's hammers, but they always come in a pair. So when you equip them, like you'll have both on your character, but only be have have one in one hand. And then your two handed stance, quote unquote, that every weapon can do for these weapons just becomes one in each hand.
0: Yeah. Right. And I messed around with some twin blades on my most recent playthrough. Um, I just, I really want that shield. So I didn't really do a whole lot with it um i i tried with um i tried with some when like because i had a I had a, a fire weapon and on some enemies that were resistant to fire i had some twin blades that i had upgraded to they're pretty fun and i i think one of the winning like speedrunner strategies is to use twin blades in dark souls 3 they're like they're really really good uh, i just didn't you know it doesn't fit with my playstyle so i didn't really mess with this much
1: yeah i'm kind of in the same boat um a lot of them really rely on like high dex characters, which is like the agility set, which isn't really something I usually pump up because a lot of my favorite things are the bigger swords and clubs, you know, the strength, big fuck up weapons. Uh, So it's not really something I really got into unless I was like purposely trying for it. And even then uh, you're still doing less damage, even though it's faster. So it, for me, it just doesn't feel good. I'd rather get the one big hit and get out.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, that
0: worked out for me on on both of my playthroughs uh, for the most part. But uh, like I said, the speedrunners use the cell sword twin blades that you get as your starting weapon. So, and, and just like most Dark Souls weapons, you can beat the game with pretty much anything as as long as you're comfortable mm-hmm. with the way the moveset is, and you upgrade it and stuff like that. So,
1: yeah, with enough patience, like you can get through with anything.
0: For sure. And that's one of the best things about the series is that like whatever weapon you're comfortable with, that's probably going to be the best weapon for you because being super comfortable with a move set and stuff like that, that is the winning way in these games. So the uh, next big change, uh, only a couple more left, is that uh, Dark Souls 1 is famous for its kind of cylindrical world design, levels that connect to each other, uh, you know, the famous get on the elevator in the undead parish you're back in firelink uh back in firelink shrine or um you know the different ways to get into blight town from different sides of the map and stuff like that that's yeah. not the way it is in dark souls 3 you um yeah. you have a much more linear path to go on in this game
1: yeah that was one of my big worries pre dark souls 3 is cuz i know Dark Souls 1, I got lost so much just because of the connectivity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dark Souls 2, I wasn't getting lost so much because it is slightly more linear, but it's just determining what order of places to go in. Mm -hmm. Um, For this one, it's all laid out on the road for you. Uh, There's one way to go most times, and even if you do take a wrong turn somewhere, it's probably somewhere you need it to be anyway.
0: Yeah, I... like. I think there's like one big spot where you have a kind of two forks in the road where you can go. Um, and it's pretty early in the game. The rest of the time, it, it feels like a very linear path,
2: I
3: think.
0: So that kind of uh, contrasts, like we said, the, the the big interconnected world of Dark Souls 1 and then Dark Souls 2, like you said, it's like you have your hub world and then all of these spokes. And it's it's more about just like finding the best one to go down at the time but in dark souls 3 you you can't really get in over your head i don't there's a couple areas that you can go to kind of like partway through the game that are meant for much much later but for the most part you're not it's not like uh i was talking to someone who's playing dark souls 1 for the first time and it's like they mm-hmm. hadn't beat the gargoyles yet, but they were struggling through the forest because they thought that was the way oh, yeah. they were supposed to go. Like, you're not really going to get into situations like that in Dark Souls 3. Yeah. so
1: I think, like, the one time or one or two times you actually can do something like that, you have to intentionally do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about, like, fighting the dancer earlier or something like that. So yeah, There's, it's something you have to do on purpose.
0: Yeah, like, I you can go... I mean, this is the non-spoiler part, but if I say Smoldering Lake, that doesn't mean anything to people who haven't played it. Like, you can go yeah. into Smoldering Lake before you're supposed to, and you'll get killed in one hit by the stuff that's there, and that's a clear sign to you, like, go back, come back here later, you know? Yeah. So, not a whole lot of that, though. Do you uh, do you follow NPC quest lines in these games?
1: Uh, not without a guide. They yeah. are uh, notorious for a whole lot of... What am I supposed to do? What's happening that isn't being shown to me? Like, there's certain parts where, like, it's dependent on how much health they have when they come out of a certain fight. Mm -hmm. uh, Whether or not the quest will advance. So it's, like, all these kind of rules and, like, quests can cancel each other out. If you talk to one person that the other one doesn't like, they'll stop liking you and, like, There's so much stuff going on that, like, if you're gonna try and follow these quests, like, just look up a guide because otherwise it's gonna be a headache. And you can't save scum it, so because the game is constantly saving on its own, you don't have multiple save files that you can load into. Like, you're just gonna have to restart the entire game if you're trying to do this on your own.
0: Yep, yep, totally agree. And like, I think I've said this before, but I I play all of these games with guides, and I recommend that you that other people do too. You're just gonna miss too much stuff if you don't play with a guide. However, um, a couple of the NPCs in Dark Souls 3 I think are pretty easy to follow on your own, um, the ones that travel to different spots, I think. However, what's harder in Dark Souls 3 is that some NPC quest lines will, like you said, interact with each other a little bit, and I think that's basically impossible to do without a guide. So the uh, the cryptic and convoluted NPC quests are still here, uh, but... There are a couple that I think are fairly easy to see through, at least like pretty far into it uh, by yourself. We'll talk about some of those in the spoiler section, I think. Um, Last thing to mention is uh, that this game is chock full of references to past games and other things that could be, I think, disparaged as fan service. I think like usually when people talk about fan service in relation to Dark Souls 3, they mean it in a bad way. And so I just, how do you feel about all of the references, uh, to past games and fan service in this?
1: I'm less hostile toward it than a lot of the fan base seems to be. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's my favorite thing though. Like it's just one of those things, like you see it for the first time pretty early in the game and it's like, Oh, cool. Okay. We know going into this, this is the last one. So of course, they're going to try and wrap some stuff up, you know, just kind of bring things to a circle. That's kind of cool. But a couple hours in, like, you've already seen so many references or repetitions that it's just like, it weighs on you, like, and it wears you down of like, yeah, I get it. You know, (laughs) we like these games, you know, we like these games. We get it. And like, it just keeps going.
0: Yeah. I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't hate all of it. There's some stuff though that just feels like cheap nostalgia, you know, or like they're yeah. they're trying to recapture the magic of like a very magical moment in a past game with a moment that like they just it uh, they just like didn't do the work for or something like that. that's kinda how yeah, it feels like
1: they're they're banking a lot on past experience of we know you're a fan of x character something here strongly strongly is connected to that character isn't it cool and most of the times it's not cool
0: yeah or something here just straight up like looks like that character or is that character you know and so there's a lot of it that's like you know there's no reason for this to be here other than fan service sometimes there is a good reason for things for that stuff but a lot of times, like you said, there's just so much of it that a lot of times, like by the end, I was also kind of sick of it. And I think a big moment that they were going for in the end uh, did not land for me, but we'll see. We'll we'll talk about that in the spoiler section. There, There's just so much fan service. There's going to be stuff that I think you like if you played all the games, and there's going to be some that you're like, Really, Did you have to do it like this? Like you couldn't come up with a new idea for this character, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that is uh, some of the changes to uh, the Dark Souls formula and uh, kind of coming at it from someone who's played um, the other Dark Souls games. This is what you can expect in Dark Souls 3. Uh, If Dark Souls 3 is going to be your first Dark Souls game, then I do recommend you go back and listen to Kind of the basics section of the Dark Souls 1 episode, uh, so that you can kind of have some context for what these changes are. And if you're playing Dark Souls 3 as your first one, this fan service stuff is just going to go straight over your head. Like none of it's going to mean anything to you. And I guess if you're really digging and like getting into lore and story and stuff like that, some of that stuff may not make a whole lot of sense if you didn't play Dark Souls 1.
1: Yeah. A lot of it's not going to be good. It just across the board story and flavor wise, if you don't play one.
0: Right. So, uh, again, another reason why dark souls one should be the first dark souls game that you play, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah. So let's, uh, talk a little bit about RPG stuff. These are RPGs. Uh, we talked a little bit about playing as a caster. Um, so my first time, Playing this game, you get a weapon from a boss very early in the game called the Hollow Slayer Greatsword. And my first time through the game, I played the entire game with the Hollow Slayer Greatsword. And then my second time, I played as a Pyromancer with a let's see, uh, with a uh, another type of Greatsword, but I had fire on it, uh, chaos actually. So, do you have any other fun builds that you've played as to give people some ideas?
1: Uh none that I've done myself but I've like seen people do it and heard of people do it like a good one is like the quote unquote paladin kind of build where like you have enough faith to do like some basic healing spells but you really pump up your HP and your strength so like you're basically able to tank things recharge your health when you need it and then like do out like some pretty good damage
0: yeah Any Dark Souls game is going to be pretty fun if you play one of those builds where you just like pump up your strength and your hit points and your stamina Mm -hmm. and you just bash things with big weapons. That's always going to be pretty fun in these games.
1: That always feels good because you get like that big chunk of health bar that just comes off and it's awesome.
0: And then small enemies will get like pancaked if your weapon's big enough and that's always great. (laughs) Yeah so yeah i I've had a good time with those like I think that magic like playing sorcery is probably really fun in Dark Souls Three because I picked up so many different types of sorceries when I was playing, I couldn't use them, but I did I picked them up. they looked really fun
1: yeah uh, that is one thing that the casters definitely have over like a melee kind of build. um you get a lot of toys as a caster mm-hmm. because it'll have stat requirements, but it's all probably for the stat you're focusing on anyway, if you're a particular kind of magic user. So if you're playing a sorcerer, it, like all the spells are going to be intelligence. If you're playing like the paladin, like I mentioned, a lot of it's going to be based on your faith, which again, you're going to be pumping up anyway. Yep. So you have all these different spells that you can try out and they're different kind of utility. Like one is just you know hovering things around you. So when things get close, it shoots them you have your magic missiles that are kind of standard you have area effects and that's all to say like you also have your melee class but they don't have as much uh as many options as like you would as a caster yeah it, but you're more than likely doing bigger damage
0: yeah your options when you're playing melee are like what weapon you're going to use and We, I think, I think Jack and I talked about this in the Dark Souls one episode where like you're and in the Bloodborne episode too, because people say Bloodborne doesn't have variety in the way you play, but different weapons feel very different. Um, especially between like, you know, twin blades, like we talked about earlier or playing with a, you know, a big smash smash weapon that's going to feel really different to play. So you can definitely get basically any kind of like, you know, game feel that you want depending on what weapon you pick
1: uh definitely like you do have options in terms of melee build the thing is though like they require investment as opposed to like how the sorcery do ones do like you can switch out spells as long as you have the stats and use whatever spell you want and it'll scale accordingly weapons though like you got to upgrade them if you want them to be viable later in the game
4: Mm -hmm.
1: if you want to use a new weapon that you found you know later in the game you have to upgrade it before you could even try it out on things to just get a baseline of what kind of damage it's doing.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: So that, like, it's that's totally it's true. a bigger, it's a bigger resource thing to do a new weapon in a melee build, as opposed to just trying out a new spell.
0: That's true. And it's a dark souls three is, is a lot more generous the, uh, at least with upgrade materials, especially like the super high level materials, um, tight <laughs> slabs. It it always sucked in bloodborne, or uh, the previous Dark Souls games where you're like, I found this really awesome weapon, but I know I've I've already used all of the, you know, Blood Rocks in Bloodborne. So I can't upgrade yeah. this to max without, you know, buying a new one for a ton of insight or something like that. In Dark Souls 3, they're a lot more generous with that. So you can, I think there's like six that you can get through the main game, maybe even... um maybe with the first DLC too, but I had like six or seven Titanite slabs, which means I can fully upgrade six or seven different weapons. And that's really cool. I'm glad they did it that
2: way.
1: Yeah. They uh, definitely heard the complaints or notes or whatever in regards to, Hey, you're giving us new toys. Let us play with them, especially when the DLC comes out. Yeah,
0: for sure. Um, Another thing that I feel like they kind of heard complaints on was uh, the stats are, simplified from dark souls 2 there's a i feel like there's like four or five fewer stats than there are in dark souls 2 the most notable one maybe i'm hyperbolizing there a little bit but the most notable one missing is adaptability which uh, controlled your iframes when you dodge that's gone and so you don't have to worry about that you just have to worry about your equip load for how good your dodge is Um, i really don't like adaptability in dark souls 2 i think that's a i thought that was a terrible idea um it means you get fewer level ups in dark souls 3 because they don't they're not planning for you to put a bunch of stats or a bunch of levels into this one stat but just kind of simplifying that i think it was a good idea in dark souls 3
1: yeah um it lands closer to uh dark souls 1 in terms of like complicated. Uh, but yeah, that adaptability stat was definitely like a weird idea. Like I could kind of see the idea behind it because it also affects things like how fast you drink Estus and things like that.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so if you're trying to like be a, a certain kind of build that doesn't rely too much on healing through Estus, you don't really have to worry about it. Like if you mostly use because uh, one thing that Dio's too high that the other ones don't are your healing gems, which are like right another mode of healing yourself. Uh so you could probably ignore your estus and still survive pretty fine in that game. Here it just wouldn't make sense because estus is the main healing thing. You don't have healing gems right. and you won't have any healing other options unless you're a faith kind of character with healing spells. Right.
0: So yeah, I guess like there is some strategy but I I feel like for you know 90% of people in dark souls Two adaptability is like a required thing to level up. So they were, they were just like, get rid of it. You know, we don't need that there. So yeah. One other. Th- how do you feel about, uh, the co-op stuff? Do you summon a lot or do you do uh PVP?
1: I don't just because I have like a predisposition to not liking multiplayer games.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so if I do play like Kindle or Embered or whatever, A lot of the time, I'll just go offline and do it because there's like a toggle on the main menu. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because something in the storytelling part of this is that you will get invaded by NPC characters, not just other players.
3: Right.
1: And they'll have like a piece of lore or like special items or things like that. So getting invaded by them is cool because they're also in places where like they kind of took the enemy count and layout into consideration where those people show up. Whereas a player character can just show up basically whenever uh, they usually have some weird build because people PVPing are usually out looking for PVP. They're spec'd for PVP, right? They have weird like status yeah. effect weapons and things like that that are meant to like mess with you. Mm-hmm. And it's just not something I like engaging with.
0: Yeah, I hate PVP so much like i play online because i really want messages i like i love reading messages i don't want those to go away so i always play online but i think i have probably got invaded like maybe 10 times in this most recent playthrough of dark souls 3 half the time i just jumped off a cliff as soon as uh yeah as soon as i got invaded or a lot of times when someone um when someone runs at me i'll just do one of those uh gestures like point down or like rest or like lay down and I'll just like refuse to fight. So I'm kind of like, you know, you invaded my game. You, you're looking for fun. You want to have fun with this duel. I'm not going to let you have fun this time. Fuck off. That's, that's kind of how I approach uh, getting invaded.
1: Yeah. My favorite thing to do if it's available to me is find a cliff and literally wait for them to be next to me, ready to hit me.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And then just jump off.
1: (laughs) And then jump right off, like <laughs> make sure they watch me do it. Yeah. So they know that I did not want to be in this situation.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, uh, I like doing the pacifist thing of like, you know, the, what's the, the one where, um, the one where you just like lay spread Eagle on your back. Sometimes I'll just do that. Oh while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, jumping off a cliff right when they think like, okay, it's go time.
1: It's even better if I can do it in a way that I I frame through their attack yeah. and then into the cliff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah. Cuz it's like I'm good enough to dodge you and probably fight you, but I'm not going to do it.
0: Yep, exactly. I I feel like I've I've played these games enough. If I did engage with invaders I could beat, you know, a handful of them. There's some that, you know, like you said, they're they're spec to be real dickheads in PVP. I'm not going to deal yeah. with those people, but like I could beat some invaders, but I just don't like it. I don't like the idea of someone interrupting this like sacred solitary experience that I'm having in these games. Mm -hmm. So I do not, uh, I do not give you any enjoyment at all. So,
1: yeah, I, the one times I don't mind it is if it's like super early game, uh, because usually then you're more restricted in what you can bring to the table. And so it's Mm -hmm. a, more level fighting kind of ground yeah later it gets into the game the more ridiculous it gets and like yeah i'm just not interested
0: yeah the pvp um like the npcs that invade you those are fine i don't mind fighting those um they're pretty stupid and predictable most of the time they're not that hard Um, but uh yeah players invading i don't get into uh do you summon uh, when you fight bosses
1: i usually do More so when it's like my first time through the game. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: Because for whatever reason, you know, first time through a Souls game, it feels so much harder than it does like the third or fourth time through. right? Uh, So once in a while, you know, you just need that boost of another player either doing more damage or taking attention off you so you can heal or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I've summoned mostly for bosses that were walls but it's not like a regular thing that i do
0: same my first playthrough i probably summoned for at least a third of the bosses because i was having just such a hard time with a lot of them this most recent playthrough i soloed the whole uh base game beat all of those bosses by myself um dlc bosses that's a whole other story i still need help with those Oh yeah. um and uh, do you ever put your summon sign down to help other people?
1: I haven't, to, except for like many, many years ago. And now I'm realizing why it was a bad idea. Because the last time I tried, I was at another apartment that had super shitty internet. Oh, right. And I haven't done it since. Okay. Because I thought like, <laughs> oh, it's just not a good system. Uh-huh. Not realizing, oh, like I'm in a better position now. I could probably have more fun with it. And I just don't. Right. Because I, in general, multiplayer stuff, I always prefer co-op to PvP.
0: Yeah. Same here. So I I enjoy summoning other people um, and I really enjoy putting my summon sign down to help other people in um, in certain spots after I beat um, a very important character in the story, save it for spoilers, but after I beat them, I put my summon sign down and helped like five other people beat that boss because it was a lot of fun uh, co-oping. So good times, Uh, jolly cooperation, always good
1: yeah and it's real cool because like if you play long enough you are able to spot like the newbie players right and so helping them feels real good
0: they they always have like more serious character names and uh gear that looks like normal stuff that you pick up throughout the game um so it's always good helping someone on their first time you can kind of tell yeah so let's take a little break let's uh clean up after this we'll clean up the rest of the stuff before the spoiler section do you feel about the boss fights in dark souls three as a
1: whole Uh, (laughs) uh, two sides to every coin man like there's some great stuff on display here in terms of mechanics but a lot of the numbers behind the scenes uh make it a little less enjoyable
0: yeah dark souls three has a reputation for having an hp bloat problem where like in Dark Souls one, a boss might have like, you know, an end game boss might have like, you know, a thousand or a couple thousand HP. And in Dark Souls three, it feels like the end game bosses will have like 20,000 HP and stuff like that.
1: There was a graphic a while ago that was put out like, uh, not around launch of DS three, but like right around the time I was playing it. That basically like middle of the game, you're getting bosses with like more HP than like almost all the bosses had in DS one. Right. Which is insane. Like, uh, it was really illustrated to me. Like I said, when I played them back to back, um, first boss fight of dark souls one, I'm doing like real good damage. It feels good. Like seeing big spaces of yellow as I do damage to the boss. That's the asylum demon. Right. I come into dark souls three, the equivalent boss I'm like chipping away at them. I'm playing the same starting class using the same strategy and it just doesn't feel as strong.
0: Right. There's, there are bosses in dark souls one that if you have a really powerful weapon and a really strong build, you can beat them in like four hits and that that never happens in dark souls three.
1: Yeah. Unless you're like stacking stuff that like as a new player, you won't know exists. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's basically uh uh like a I forgot the word for it, but like a special trick that if you know what you're doing, you know how to line up the weaknesses, you know how to line up stacking effects, mm-hmm. you can get that effect going. Uh but it you didn't have to do that in Dark Souls One to see that kind of damage. Right. Like if you just put your stats right and had the right weapon, you're gonna be more than okay.
0: Right. Now you may, someone listening to this may think like, okay, the the bosses in Dark Souls 3 are much, much more difficult in general because of this, right? And I kind of disagree with that. I, so like, as I've been replaying through the series, I don't think that the base game of Dark Souls 3, the bosses are appreciably like way more difficult than stuff in Bloodborne or stuff in uh, the hardest bosses in Dark Souls 2. Um, even like, even Dark Souls one, I still can't beat Ornstein and Smo by myself, but I beat all the bosses in Dark Souls three by myself. And that may have something to do with, you know, how agile your character is and how quickly you can move around and stuff like that, perhaps. But there is, I think there's one boss in the base game of Dark Souls three that people say is like an insane challenge. I think, I think there's basically one. The DLCs, that's something completely uh, different. We'll talk about those in a second. But the HP bloat didn't translate to like me having an impossible time in Dark Souls 3, uh, not as much as you may expect from the way that we introduced this topic. I don't know how you feel about that.
1: Yeah, it's still manageable. Like It's just something that stands out when you play them back-to-back, like yeah, I said. For sure, yeah. Uh, big issue is because... It doesn't make them harder because, oh, they're doing less damage and, you know, it's just, oh, numbers are bad. But, like, it co- it becomes hard because you have to play at the same level over a longer period of time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, in the DPS race of these boss fights, you're kind of always on the losing side because they will have more health mm-hmm. than you do. They can take more hits than you do. And you almost always don't have enough healing to like outlast their bar unless you're good at dodging or good at managing your stamina to block
0: yeah you you do need to be maybe a bit more skilled in dark souls 3 than you do in most of dark souls 2 and then definitely in dark souls 1 i think um Mm. trying to think of well some DLC bosses excluded from Dark Souls 1. I guess if you put the average Dark Souls 3 boss in Dark Souls 2 or Dark Souls 1, it would automatically be one of the harder bosses, I think, just from movesets and how fast they are and stuff like that.
1: Oh, speed definitely would be a big factor. Yeah,
0: so if you're if you're thinking about it that way, then they are a bit more fun or a bit more uh, difficult. I think a lot of them are really fun, though, in Dark Souls 3. Like, I, I think I could pinpoint a couple that i think suck but i had a good time fighting most of them
1: yeah um the issue for me i have a good time fighting a lot of them as well it just becomes that thing of like the fight goes on too long Mm -hmm. and like i lose like metaphorical traction and the fight goes south
2: right
0: and there dark souls 3 is when from really started to fall in love with like bosses with multiple health bars and multiple phases there's there's some that have like three yeah. phases and it starts to get a little bit ridiculous if you're fighting them over and over and over again you know like phase three is the part that gives you trouble but you always have to do phase one and two as well that starts to get old for sure and yeah they for sure fully leaned into that in dark souls three maybe i, I want to say like at least half of them have at least two health bars or two or three distinct phases that they go through.
1: It definitely feels that way. They definitely all feel, like I said, like that it's just too much sometimes. Like there's one boss in particular, it's in the DLC, so it doesn't apply to the main game. That's like, it's a real issue of who finds this fun? Like, cause it just goes on so long. It <laughs> You have to replay it so many times, but yeah, that's, that's a real egregious example, though. Like, that's the worst of the worst. Yeah. Overall, like I said, though, it's a matter of just learning your combos, learning your tells and animation signals, and just kind of, like, managing your health and stuff like that, like I said. uh, But again, it's just, it's the longer period of time aspect for me that really shapes me.
0: Yeah, well... Since we've brought up the DLC a few times here, let's just talk about the DLC and kind of lay out how we feel about those. I'm curious how you feel. There's two DLCs. Uh, The first one is called Ashes of Ariandel, and just from a quick memory search, uh, that one has two bosses and what I feel like are two main areas to it, maybe three. Uh, And then there is the Ringed City, the other DLC pack, which has four bosses and maybe three or four main zones. The Ringed City is a little bit bigger, um, more substantial. I think that going through the levels in Ashes and Ariandel is fun. And I think the bosses <laughs> suck. And then I think I I have actually, uh, I when I first played, I thought the Ringed City was pretty fun, difficult, but pretty fun. Uh, and now I hate the Ring City. I think it's the worst thing that I think it's the worst <laughs> thing that From has ever made the Ring City DLC, and that made me so nervous for Elden Ring. I thought, like, are they just gonna like blow this up into an open world? Because that's gonna fucking suck. But they didn't. So, how do you feel about these DLCs?
1: I will say, scenery-wise, across the board, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's so much cool imagery here. There's like the world rotting away in ashes of though. Uh, Even, like, the whole place is also snow-covered, which is really cool. Like, From does awesome snow levels. Mm -hmm. The Ring City DLC, you start in, like, this sideways city that's collapsing on itself, which is awesome. Slight spoiler, but whatever. Like, the Firelink Shrine from Dark Souls 1 shows up. There's monuments from Dark Souls 2. Like, it's this real cool, like, world collapsing in on itself. Mm -hmm. Kind of, like, deserted world. Uh, and then the ring city is like a whiplash of like, here's this classic kind of souls architecture stuff. It's not as good as some of the stuff like that. It looks like, like the Ana stuff, but like the ends end boss arena, I think once you know, the story behind it is really cool and evocative. Yeah,
0: there you're right. There is a lot of evocative and cool imagery and like, like, the environments that you're going through are very cool visually. I think th-
1: that's the best thing I could say about the DLC. Yeah, I, I was
0: gonna say, I was just gonna say, I think that uh, it is a hate fuck difficulty level across the board in the Ringed City. It it feels like you're supposed to go through this co op. Like it it feels like only the best players could beat this whole thing by themselves. Um especially some of the you know, some of the stuff later in the Ringed city. Um, I think all of the boss fights in the ring city are the hardest bosses in any dark souls game. I think.
1: Yes. But again, like this is where my complaint about HP bloat really came into crystal yeah. clear focus because mm-hmm. that's the reason why they're hard is like, they take so long to fight
0: and they're, super dangerous too so you yeah to beat some of these and like to be to be clear one of the bosses in the ring city is my favorite boss in this entire game you just have to play it perfectly and i don't think that that's like i don't think that's as fun as it could be like i gotta be able to make some mistakes in here Uh um instead of executing perfectly for like a fight that's going to take like 15 minutes to beat
1: yeah, and then like it kind of runs counter to the things that From set up to make things easier because like you have summoning that's meant to help you, but right in a world where bosses already have too much HP, if you bring a summon in, they get an HP boost, right? So it becomes in a lot of cases even harder to do if you try and look for help.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. So visually, the DLCs are cool. Um, like I said, the, the first one, Ash is a very end I actually do like going through the levels and like seeing what's going on there. I, I enjoy that quite a bit. That one has two bosses. One of them I think is just not like fun or interesting in any way. And the other one I think is uh bullshit. Basically. I, I think it's too much uh, for dark souls three,
1: the worst boss they've ever made. In it's, my opinion,
0: it's in the wrong game. We'll, we'll just say that, um, that's how i feel it, it again kind of cap trying to capture your good feelings from another game in dark souls 3 but it's just mm-hmm. too much in this dlc the final boss of ashes of Ariandel. it's it's i like it but it's just too much therefore i don't like it
1: it's double like egregious to me because a the mechanics are in the wrong game right but b like you're invoking two characters, two stronger characters from two better games and two better <laughs> fights.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah, so uh DLCs, they're more Dark Souls. So if you like Dark Souls, more mm-hmm. Dark Souls is good, but I think these DLCs together, these are the worst content that From has ever made, uh especially in the modern era. I mean, maybe, you know, an armored core game is less fun than these, but of the souls series, I think these are pretty comfortably the worst things they've ever made. I
1: think. Yeah. Yeah. I could get behind that.
0: Cool. So let's, uh, let's get into our final thoughts about dark souls three time to wrap this up and get into spoiler time. Um, Adam, what do you think? Like, what do you want people to know? How do you feel about dark souls three as a whole? Are you, who are you recommending this to? If anybody,
1: (laughs) I'm recommending this to the person who I already recommended Dark Souls One to, and they liked it. Like this makes sense in terms because of all the fan service stuff we mentioned. This makes sense as a direct sequel thematically to Dark Souls One, mm-hmm. and then it you know it makes the jump start into here's a more modernized Dark Souls, like with some quality of life stuff, with better graphics, things like that. Um, so. I again would place this in a game that I like it, yeah. uh, but it's not my favorite of the series. It's not one I would recommend to someone first if they want to get in the series.
0: Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think I said this at the be- very beginning. This game is fun. I think this game is pretty good. It's mm-hmm. I think it's my least favorite. It's definitely my least favorite in the Souls series and I, may, I think I like this more than Sekiro but Th- that's a weird thing to say because my least favorite souls game is probably still in my like top 30 to top 50 games of all time. Like I I love these games. So yeah. me saying it's my least favorite souls game doesn't mean it's bad by any means. We laid out some complaints about yeah. it, but I still think this game's really good. And again, I'm going to recommend this to people who like you said, like, You played Dark Souls 1, you really enjoyed that. Maybe you played Bloodborne, and that was your first one, and you liked that. Try Dark Souls 3. Uh, Maybe people who are being introduced to FromSoft by playing Elden Ring. If you really like your time with Elden Ring, go back and play Dark Souls 3. There's a lot of these ideas from Elden Ring that started there. And I think you'll enjoy it, uh, especially if you like the kind of... um, the dungeons and the handcrafted stuff in Elden Ring, um, like everything that's not open world stuff, I think you'll find something to like here in Dark Souls 3. Uh, yeah. But for a newcomer, probably not. I still recommend Dark Souls 1 or the Demon Souls remake, I think is a great starting place. But yeah, pretty good game.
1: Yeah. I keep forgetting that Demon Souls remake exists. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, PS5, you know ps5 exclusive it's going to be tough for some people to get their hands on it so yeah that's uh that i think that's going to wrap this up uh before the spoiler section for dark souls 3 um if you're going to tap out now because you don't want to be spoiled on uh, story stuff or specific you know boss talk thank you for listening this far Um, If this episode uh, was enjoyable for you, please consider leaving a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice, uh, specifically Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, uh, Good Pods, wherever you are listening. If it allows reviews, that's very helpful for me and uh, gives some feedback too. Um, I also have a podcast called A Top Three Podcast, where each week, we pick a topic or each episode we pick a topic. We give our top threes in that topic that shows a good time. All social media links and uh, top three podcast stuff is down in the show notes. Adam, do you have anything you want people to uh, look forward to find you online?
1: Uh, I am just a dude that exists on the internet. I don't really contribute to it. Uh, but if you like my particular kind of brand of just existing, uh, my, <laughs> Twitter and stuff exists, you know, most of my handles are either Booyah Boy 88 Booyah Boy, or Desba. Uh, I can give all the show links that to just go in the description for later. Cause I know like I made these things based on things that I made in middle school. So the spellings are all weird.
0: Yeah. Gotta love that. I, I, some of my middle school and like early high school screen names are still floating around in various online IDs that I have too. And it's uh, a, yeah. it's a trip. So yeah, I'll put, um, if you want, I'll put your uh, Twitter and stuff down in the um, episode description too. Yeah, that'll work. Cool. Um, Oh, another thing is uh, just at the time of recording, uh, I have a Discord up and running for Tales from the Backlog and a Top 3 podcast, where if you want to come in and chat with us, chat about the episode of Tales from the Backlog, if you want to talk about Dark Souls 3, if you want to talk about the most recent episode of a Top 3 podcast, or just life in general, come on in and hang out. You'll find an invite link in the show notes as well for the Discord. We are going to take a break when we come back. It's spoiler time for Dark Souls 3. Okay, spoiler time for Dark Souls 3, and we're going to get started with talking a little bit about story uh, in Dark Souls 3, because there was some story that I kind of picked up on on my own, even my first time playing, which is not normally something that I'm able to do, so I guess the first half of the game, you're following the story of Aldrich, and you keep hearing this name Aldrich and like everything that you're going through, through the road of sacrifices, through the cathedral of the deep, you're looking for Aldrich and you're following his, you know, his trail of people that are being sacrificed to him and people that are uh being led to him, and when you finally see him, um he has basically soiled um Anne Orlando, which is the um one of the big moments for the game. Were you able to get that yeah. unspoiled? when you first played
1: half and half, uh, I was spoiled to the fact that it had existed.
0: Yeah. Same uh, here.
1: But I was not spoiled on what actually happened to it, which right. I can get into more detail later. Uh, but basically the fact, this is one of the times where the fan service works because it's being used to show in contrast to what happened previously. Yeah as opposed to just trying to like shortcut to the feels.
0: This, this place that like in dark souls one was so, and I never like turned the lights out in dark souls, uh, in dark souls one. So like in dark souls one, this place that was so like fancy holy. and clean and holy. Yeah. It has been defiled in dark souls three. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a cool, it, it's a cool thing when you, you realize what this is and then you go into, the big, uh, the big place where you fought Ornstein and Smo before, and you see just what's become of it. I wish they didn't have to do the giant blacksmith like that, but uh, you see everything in there. Uh, That is, that is cool. I think you're right. Of, if you're going to do fan service, this is, this is one of the ways to do it and have it actually land.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's always like in general, stuff like this works for me in the way of like, here's what happened to this thing, you know, mm-hmm. and whether it's good or bad, you know, is up in the air, like tangent for here. Like one of my favorite, favorite Pokemon games is Pokemon silver and gold uh-huh. because you get to go back and see all the areas from the first game. But here's what happened to them. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. I really enjoyed that too. That was a very cool moment uh, when you, Basically in that game, you thought the game was over and then you're like, nope, you get to go do the first game again. So that was cool.
1: Yeah. But like just that kind of general setup is something I'm, I'm usually into when a game does it.
0: Yeah. And I'm with you. And that's why Firelink Shrine didn't work for me at the beginning of the game. When you open the door and it says Firelink Shrine, I was like, oh, okay. This doesn't look like Firelink Shrine from Dark Souls one. What does this mean to me?
1: Yeah. Like, it's just another place called Firelink Shrine, right? but not the Firelink Shrine. Right, so
0: it's it's like the music is different, it looks totally different, doesn't look anything like the one from the first game, so it, it doesn't have that same impact. You could probably guess as you're going up the ramparts that you're in Anor Londo when you're, when you're going through that part, right? Like, the, the architecture should uh-huh. give, if you're paying attention, you'd be like, huh, this looks like Anor Londo. Oh, there's dudes shooting giant bows at me. That that reminds me of exactly Anor Londo. like Orlando. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you you should be able to get that that same kind of um, feeling. Then when like the title card comes up, you're like, "Yup, Orlando. Let's go check out what's become of this place."
1: Yeah, like, and it it it's built up with a great like metaphorical drum roll because you have the ramparts, then you have like the the cylinder staircase that raises and falls and if you're like me and you spent a lot of time dying in Anor you mess with that staircase a lot because like you're going from the fire back up to where the archers are killing you Mm -hmm. and so for me this is the part that was really cool that wasn't spoiled for me is like dropping that staircase down and knowing that sight so well Mm -hmm. and seeing it again and being like whoa wait a second here and then when you get to the top you're hit with the title card and like, that's, you know, the ta-da moment of welcome back. You're still not welcome here.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that, that, I guess that could have been pretty bad. It could have been fumbled, but I think that was a good, Mm -hmm. a good way to do it. Uh, again, like Firelink Shrine. I just didn't have that same impact at the beginning of the game.
1: Yeah, because it's there's nothing familiar about it outside the name and randomly putting an NPC there that you're familiar with, but had nothing to do with Firelink Shrine. Yeah, oh,
0: uh, there's also that room in Iraphil that's like the everything about Anne Orlando in one room. It's got some silver knights. They're like, oh sta- yeah, they're like staring at a picture of Guinevere a painting of Guinevere. Um You can pick up. It's. Either Ornstein or Smo's uh weapons or armor yeah, the hammer and a treasure chest there. It's like the you know, Anne Orlando starter kit basically. Yeah. So that that could also give you a clue if you're really paying attention, but yeah. That was that was kind of cool. Um did you recognize what or who uh Aldrich was eating during the boss fight?
1: I did. Uh that was slightly also spoiled for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I saw like a screen capture of that boss. And so I saw him like right. there, I didn't see like how he interacted and what he did because, Oh, it's, it's Gwendolyn. He's a hidden boss from part one. We're past spoiler wall now. Right. And he's manipulating him like a puppet. Yeah. And so he's doing Gwendolin spells. He's moving around like Gwendolyn, but it's not him. And it's so creepy and awesome
0: see, I didn't recognize that it was Gwendolyn because at that point it had been maybe five years since I played Dark Souls one. And so I just didn't recognize Gwendolyn. I didn't have that part spoiled for me, but I, again, I didn't recognize him, but I think there's two schools of thought on this. There's some people that say Aldrich ate Gwendolyn and kind of absorbed his power. And then like you said, Aldrich is kind of puppeting Gwendolyn, and that's kind of what I thought, too. I thought he's puppeting him more than, like, you know, kirby him.
1: I think it's a combination of both. Like, Gwendolyn, in either case, doesn't exist anymore. Just his body does. Right. And it's kind of like uh, Lothric, in a literal sense, like, he is puppeting him. Like, Lothric is inside Gwendolyn's body and controlling it it is part of Lothric now
0: mm-hmm. eh, man I didn't I didn't really like this a whole lot because I killed Gwendolyn in Dark Souls 1 I don't know right. why he's here like I get he's optional but like that was one I guess reference or like callback that didn't work for me because in my head canon of the games Gwendolyn died in Dark Souls 1 I killed him so mm-hmm. When uh when I found out that was Gwendolyn, I was like, oh, that's stupid. Like, it's cool what's happening to him, but that's stupid that it's him because I killed him before. Why is he still here? Just that was just kind of like my head cannon and how my thought process went through that. But
1: yeah, uh, um, I don't mind it because uh, like I mentioned already, he's an optional kind of hidden boss. Right. So if anyone's gonna come back, it's gonna be him. Yeah. But even then, like there are things that exists in three that shouldn't exist all the time <laughs> everywhere.
0: Yeah. This, yeah. And like I said, I, I thought this was kind of stupid, but it's very far from the most egregious of things like that. You're right. Yeah. Like, um, it's in dark souls three, it's Siegward Siegmire's in dark, dark souls one, right?
1: Yeah. Siegmire.
0: Yeah. S- Siegward is stupid. I don't like Siegward. And the conclusion to his quest is like, if you, if Dark Souls three is the first one you played, I think it's cool, but it wasn't the first one I played. So it felt like, you know, and that's also in the Yorm fight, which is super gimmicky in all the wrong ways, in my opinion. So like that, yeah. s- that just ended with a thud, uh, I think.
1: Um, For me, that quest would have just worked a lot better if it was anyone but a Sieg bro. Right. Like, if they had just created a new NPC for that whole buildup, it would have been better. Not necessarily, you know, really good or anything like that. Cause like that end boss is super gimmicky in like a weird way, but there's no rhyme or reason outside of like very superficial similarities for that to be a Sigmire clone.
0: There, there really isn't like, I love. I liked how unique Siegmeier was in Dark Souls 1. He didn't look like anybody else. No one else looked like him. And then in Dark Souls 3, it's like, oh, here's a, you know, basically a copy of him who's yeah, kind of, he's just kind of on an adventure. Like, Siegmeier had some, like, characterization and, like, story going for him. Siegward just feels like, you know, he's this dude you have to rescue throughout his quest. And then... At the end, he's like, you know, I'm here for my old friend, the the giant, you know. <laughs> and then, yeah. uh, he he died basically as soon as that fight started. So he, in my first game, he survived <laughs> uh, the Yorm fight, and then in my replay, he uh, Yorm just went straight for him and just fucked him up. He was dead in like ten seconds, and I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's over.
1: <laughs> that happened to me in my most recent playthrough as well. Like for that fight, there's a special weapon that you're supposed to find and equip because that's like the big way to do huge amounts of damage to make that fight manageable right um yeah. i had a, exactly enough time to find the weapon and equip it before he died
0: yeah same i i knew what i was looking for so i beelined for the uh the storm ruler and as soon as i had it <clears> equipped <throat> i turned around and i was like oh secret's dead cool i guess uh, i guess yeah. i'm not going <laughs> to see the end of his quest
1: which, to be fair, that's pretty much the end. Like, the one thing that happens after that is, like, I think he gives you an emote that you might not have gotten yet. If you did get it earlier, you don't even get that. Right. And then, like, he just kind of, like, says, Okay, I'm done. Yeah. And he disappears. Mission accomplished. Yeah.
0: So, the, I know there's other NPC quest lines, but I've never been able to see them through to the end, except for, um, except for Henri and her her protector that I can't remember the name of, the one who goes hollow Horse. and you have to fight him. Horace, yeah. Um, I've always been able to get that quest to go at least to the point where you have to fight Horace. In my first playthrough, Henri also went hollow and I had to fight her or him. Could be a him if you're playing as a female, I think. But um, yeah. I, and then my second playthrough, something happened and I, she just never showed up. Uh, as I progress through the story. So I'm not really sure what happens. I know it's linked with one of the endings of the game.
1: Yeah, uh, her ultimate ending is tied to that ending or whether or not you tip her off about Horace. It, it basically can end one of three ways. Oh, right. It's right. She's either where Horace is and goes crazy and you have to kill her, that's if you warn her. If you don't warn her, she ends up in the woods somewhere, goes crazy, and you have to kill her. <laughs> if you do neither of those things and set her up for the ending, which is uh, getting her purposely kidnapped, mm-hmm. then you shove a sword in her face and whether or not you actually killed her is a mystery.
0: Cool. So all happy endings for her quest line. Very good. Yeah,
1: she's a bubbling part of positivity in this game yeah
0: (laughs) yeah Uh, so that is what happened because I did tell her where Horace went um, and then I never saw her again so yeah maybe I just missed the place where she was going to go crazy and I was going to have to kill her
1: it would be down where Horace is you like you have to go back
0: okay yeah I am not sure I went back in there no, you, a lot of these, I mean, this is why you need a guide. Cause like, why would you go yeah. back there after you killed Horace? You're done with yeah. that. Space. There's no
1: reason to go back anywhere. Yeah. Like that makes sense. It's a,
0: it's a linear game. You're not traversing through the levels you had to get to a new level. It's yeah. Yeah. So again, need a guide for these quests. Um, okay. So story goes, you make your way up through, um, to, uh, Lothric finally. And I, I think this boss fight is really cool, uh, against Lothric and Lorien. Um, and, uh, you get the, get the souls. I'm kind of skipping over story cause I don't remember it, but you get the, uh, souls and then like you get to the soul of Cinder and first, qu- so the soul of Cinder is this, you know, character made of all of the previous Lords of Cinder, the people who linked the fire before. So like yeah, counting characters, named characters from other games who did it, and also all the player characters. So that's why it has so many different moves. My question, like, and I want to know if you, if you have also thought about this or if you have an answer, if the goal of the game is to relink the fire, and the soul of cinder is made of all the previous lords of cinder why is it stopping you from linking the fire why is it fighting that you? is
1: <laughs> that is my biggest like bugbear about soul of cinder like aside from the fact that he's just an okay fight like right his existence makes no sense yeah in terms of like <laughs> like the fire has never been sentient before in right. any way it's always just been this thing that is keeping the world alive through magic. It doesn't have a will. Uh, you're not chosen because the fire chose you or anything like that. It's just a destiny thing. Right. But for whatever reason, all of a sudden, when the fire is at its weakest that it's ever been in the series, it can produce this like Robocop of a knight right. and <laughs> be strong enough to wreck your shit if you're not careful.
0: You would think that if the fire is sentient, then the fire wants to continue being lit. So therefore it would pave yeah. the way for me to go light the fire again. But no, you get, yeah, you get this. Like, they would have sent
1: the soul ascenders to go get the Lord.
0: Yeah, exactly. But instead it's there literally killing me repeatedly as I try to link the fire. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's like trying to force medicine down your dog's throat. Like, dude, I'm trying to help you. Like, come on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, a lot of this, uh, like, so just all around, it's, there's no reason for it to exist. A big part of the reason is that this game kind of had troubled development, not in the sense of like, it was very delayed or anything like that, but like, there was no one unified vision for the story. Mm-hmm. So I think Soul of Cinders is something that they thought was a good idea for another version of the story. And just, you know, he's still here, but not justified in being here.
0: It's one of those things that, like, I think, like you said before, it's cool if you think about it for half a second, you know, all the souls of all the players who've linked the fire in this one character. That's a cool thing, I think. But then you start thinking about it more and you're like, oh, why? But why does it not want me to link the fire? And as soon as you start thinking about that, you're like, this is fucking stupid. And yeah. I don't it, I don't know. It felt like it was supposed to be this incredibly emotional moment. They bring back Gwyn's music in the in the uh yeah. in the fight, and I but the whole time I'm thinking like this boss sucks, I don't like this. Now they're trying to tug at my heartstrings with Gwyn's song, and that completely fell flat for me yeah. too.
1: And then not even just his song, like he gets his move set too. Right. Yeah. But it's doesn't make sense in that sense either because when you fight Gwyn in Dark Souls 1 he's a burnt out husk like yeah. that's in the narrative that he's also weak he's gone hollow he's not at the top of his form right you're fighting peak power uh gwyn here
0: which and is why can you uh maybe you know can you parry the soul of cinder when he's doing gwyn's attacks can
1: not parry the you cannot parry Soul cinder right, at all
0: that's what i thought which i was like okay cool invoke gwyn if you want to but like yeah let me fight him the same way i fought gwyn because yeah you...
1: make it the same yeah exactly
0: yeah. but instead it's this uh it's this thing that like i'm like oh that's you know that's gwyn's attack gwyn's music is playing i know these attacks i know how to fight this nope no you don't you uh you got to learn yeah. to dodge all this stuff
1: What's actually ironic that just came to my mind right now is that a good example of what this could have been is in Dragon's Dogma. (laughs) Um, Because the ending to Dragon's Dogma, spoilers if you haven't listened to that episode yet, is you fight God. Right. But God, if you're on a New Game Plus cycle, is your character from the previous game cycle.
0: Yeah, that would be cool. So
1: you're... you're fighting yourself at that point of the game, like that build, whatever your stats were at that point. And this is kind of the same idea of like, you're supposed to be fighting other players with mm. all the builds that it has access to. Right. To the point where it goes all the way back to the first, you know, Lord of Cinder, which was Gwen. And for whatever reason, like, because the track isn't laid for it, because it doesn't make sense narratively, it's, real real hollow unless you're just there for the fight because mechanically it is an interesting fight
0: yeah there's a lot of stuff to learn and um i definitely like i had a little bit of that enjoyment of like you know okay he's switching to his sorcerer phase let me you know learn what the sorcerer phase can do okay now he's switching he has a spear let me learn the spears moves and stuff like that there is some enjoyment not only that
1: like like you're not going to fight like you know the curve blade pyromancer the same way you're going to fight that casting sorcerer right so like you're switching up strategy at the same time he is right to match him and so that's a real cool way to do a fight
0: yeah i guess if we're getting into like mechanics talk with the soul of cinder my problem is that he it is just like this is the poster child, I think, for Dark Souls 3 bosses not playing by the same rules that you are, because this dude will just um, yeah. relentlessly attack you. You, Your windows for like dodging his combo and punishing it, are so small that I, I was playing uh, my first playthrough that was all melee, I summoned help uh, for him. And then my second playthrough, I had Pyromancy. You would think the Soul of Cinder would be super resistant to fire, but he's not. At all. Uh, so I basically just fireballed him to death my second playthrough. Like, it was cool seeing the changes to all of these forms, but it because <clears throat> he just relentlessly attacks you and, you know, has these lunge moves that have super far reaches, it wasn't super <clears throat> fun. And by the end of it, like I said, I, w- I was frustrated. So the Gwyn stuff really sucked when that came in, I thought.
1: Yeah the the hardest time i have ever had with him was for my caster character and it's for exactly those reasons that he's so relentless and so you know un, non-stopping like he's constantly going with combos you have to be like timed perfectly to cast spells cuz casting spells is an instant like you have a, a wind up in the same way you have a melee wind up mm-hmm. and so that was the hardest to do it for me because i just couldn't seem to get enough space to get those attacks off
0: yeah yeah, I mean, and even like when I was doing my melee character, the rule should be that if you're able to dodge your combo, you should be able to punish a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But in Soul of Cinder, you can get one melee hit in, maybe two if you're using yeah. a quick weapon, and then you have to get out. And
1: and like and then a, the big part uh, of that too is like for melee, you can attack out of a roll. It's like as one move, right. but you can't do that as a caster.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. So after you beat Soul of Cinder, um, there's three endings, one where you link the fire just like all the other games and you continue uh, the cycle, one where you snuff the fire and put an end to it, and I was going for a trophy, a new trophy, a new ending my second time, so I did the snuff the fire ending where you you give eyes to the fire keeper and uh, she helps you put out the fire. Uh I also did that out of spite because I hated The Soul of Cinder. Uh by the end of it, <laughs> I was like fuck you. Yeah. I'm putting this shit out. No more Soul of Cinder for anybody else. This this is going out.
1: And also uh there is a hidden second ending with uh, within that ending.
0: Yeah, there is where you uh, when you summon the firekeeper but you attack her before she can touch the fire or something.
1: It's while she's putting the fire out because like the animation is like she picks up the flame right. and kind of snuffs it in her hand. Well, There's a brief window of time where she's holding it that you can attack her and kill her, Mm -hmm. which doesn't change the ending all that much. The fire still goes out. It's just, you know, it's another thing that's there. It's just, it's kind of cool.
0: Just you being a total dick.
1: Yeah. If you're playing for chaos, here's like the actual chaos ending.
0: (laughs) For sure. And then there's the third ending that we talked about, uh, with those NPC quests. It's where you become, it's called the King of Londor ending, I think and Mm -hmm. this requires completion of some finicky npc quests i think so i have never even come close to seeing this um something again this is something that like if you're not playing with a guide i don't know how anyone would naturally come across this ending
1: i also like i could see it but it's like such an exact uh set of circumstances that the odds are incredibly against it because the real thing you need to do is advance honoree's quest, which you can do if like the stars align and she's always where she should be when Mm -hmm. she should be. Right. And the other half is getting these quote unquote free levels from an NPC that you can find pretty early on. Yeah. And those are the two big things you need to do. And like, if you do both of them, there's only like one or two other conversations you have to have to get to the ending. And so like, it's definitely possible to accidentally stumble your way here. It's just not very likely at all.
0: There's a part in Irithyll where you're in a church and like, there's some assassin in this church that you, Mm -hmm. you're either supposed to like, you're, I think you're supposed to let the assassin take Henri, right?
1: Yeah. It's like, there's a spell in the game called chameleon. Uh, It disguises you as scenery basically. And someone in the church with her is using that spell, right. so if you kill him, she doesn't get kidnapped, and it breaks the quest for this bo- for this ending right. If you want this ending, you have it, to let her get kidnapped,
0: right, which is counterintuitive because Henri's been your friend, she's been helping you uh-huh. with bosses and stuff like that if you've been summoning yeah, um, but now you're supposed to let something bad happen to her, which is something that I don't think a lot of people would naturally just like let happen.
1: No, especially because at this point, like bad things are already happening to her. Like she (laughs) lost her friend. Right. Like she's on her own now. (laughs) So it's like bad to worse and it's your fault. Yeah,
0: exactly. So uh, I, I am not even totally positive what happens in that third ending.
1: The big difference is like, uh, instead of putting out the fire or relighting it, you take the fire and absorb it into yourself. So, like, you carry the power of the fire within you, which plunges the rest of the world into darkness, but you are the most powerful thing in it now.
0: Cool. So, another happy ending for the residents of the Dark Souls world. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Which is why it's called, like, the King of Londor, because there is a place that we never see called Londor, and, like, their chosen king or whatever is the person who does this, and, like, you're the one who does it.
2: Right. Right. Okay, cool.
0: So those are your endings. Um, like I said, I linked the fire the first time. The second time, I was planning on putting out the fire just so I can see that ending. But by the end of that Soul of Cinder fight, I was con- convinced that that was also the right decision to put out the fire. <laughs> uh, I don't know how yeah. how how do you which which one do you think is like canonical for Dark Souls Three?
1: I honestly think it's that King of Londor ending because that's the one that makes the most sense in taking a step forward because it's something new, which Mm. is uh, on a macro scale, what the game has kind of been leading up to because in the first game, you, you get the layout of this cycle that the fire is going out. You have to relight it in the second game. You're starting to see cracks of like people, especially in scholar of the first sin that are looking for a different way. Yeah. Like researching into the fire and seeing like, is there another option? Mm-hmm. And three is when these options come to fruition. Here's how we get around the fire cycle.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And they're also doing that in the uh, in the DLC too. They're creating, you know, this painting world for people to live in. No matter what happens mm-hmm. to the outside world, they're making this painting world. So I guess that is, you know, another way that people are kind of getting around this cycle instead of just either yeah continuing or ending the cycle
1: and visually and narratively it's told to you that like the cycle isn't a good idea anymore right. the world is falling apart because of it
0: yeah especially if you've gone to the ringed city um and done that before you fight soul of cinder you'll see like yeah. the place where you fight gale shit's just like a wasteland now this is not inhabitable anymore
1: yeah, like that uh, was what I was talking about earlier of like the cool evocative boss fight, because what the game doesn't tell you, but you kind of find through like research is that it becomes that way because you go forward in time to like right. the end of time, quote unquote. Yeah,
0: You're fighting this guy at the end of the world.
1: Yeah, the literal like the the end of the world is in about an hour. Yeah, (laughs) So the whole world is just a pile of ash Mm -hmm. and you're fighting on top of it. Yeah. And so it's cool. Yeah. It's real cool. And like, this is what happens if the cycle isn't fixed somehow, because another issue with it is that it's kind of something that's only illustrated if you play the series is that linking the fire is becoming less and less effective, right? Because Dark Souls 1, you link the fire and it's this huge arena filling, like lighting everything on fire. Mm -hmm. In Dark Souls 3, if you link the fire, it's like your character's arm catches fire and you kind of just collapse Mm -hmm. and that's it.
0: Yeah. So someone, if you link the fire here, someone's going to have to come do it in like a couple weeks, you know? Yeah. So do you have any favorite levels that you think are like really stand out in this game?
1: You have a couple here in the notes that I'm going to let you talk about because you probably have different reasons than I do. But the ones that stood out for me, I kind of already mentioned, is like Anne Orlando, the return to Anne Orlando, mm-hmm. And for the reasons I already outlined of like going back and it's this pristine, like kind of held in state world in the first game. But you get there in this one when there's a giant dead corpse, like the whole floor is covered in like muck and it's dark and dingy and uh, it's defiled in like almost every way because of the person that has taken up residence there. Yeah. And it's again, like the one time that invoking the first game really, really works because it's so striking to what you're used to.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: My other one for like mechanics is Irithal dungeon. Uh, I know a lot of people dislike it because of the enemies that are there.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm one of those.
1: <laughs> yeah, but in terms of just like level wireframe, I think it's one of the stronger areas because it's this classic Souls thing of like you're you don't quite have a sense of direction, so like you go up an elevator or open a certain door, and you're suddenly back to somewhere you've already been. Like that feeling is real strong in that level.
0: Mm-hmm. That's one of the. I think it just has one bonfire for the entire level, right?
1: Yeah, for the quote-unquote Irithyll Dungeon, there's one bonfire. Like, there's one at the very end, but it's technically considered, like, the next area, which is the Profane Capital.
0: Right. So, yeah, that is one of the, like, and I, I don't know, I I like being able to do that sprint from one bonfire to another, but something about that that design of those shortcuts looping back to the bonfire, it's it's so satisfying and especially when like you said in in irithel dungeon i'm not a huge fan of like the experience of playing that level but it is very cool to like poke into you're Mm -hmm. like i have no idea where this elevator goes but let's just see oh cool there's the bonfire like you you do get those moments and those are a little bit fewer and far between in dark souls 3 than they were in dark souls 1 um which is why like one of my favorite levels is the cathedral of the deep because it's, it's that same thing. It's like that classic dark souls level design in a, like a massive level. The cathedral, of the deep is huge. Like up until Elden ring, I think this was one of the biggest dungeons they've ever made.
1: Yeah. In terms of just sheer, like space. Yeah. It's definitely up there. Um, the thing with cathedral, cathedral, the deep that I like, like I, (laughs) also like the fact that it's one of those classic souls return to one bonfire like just going out in different loops yep. i don't like the wireframe at the level as much because of all that space mm-hmm. and because of like a big chunk in the middle is just sludging through the
0: like muck. <laughs> the water yeah
1: the water with the giants and then the other part of it that's big is the rafters up top which i never have good luck with yeah
0: the rafters are not very fun um Yeah, I just I don't know. I really enjoy um that like sometimes you're inside, sometimes you're outside, but I do agree there there's lots of uh kind of experiences in Cathedral of the Deep where you're like, I can see this place I need to go to, but I have no idea how to get there. And that can get frustrating. Uh dealing with those um those bridges that you have to raise and uh, what Patches gets involved with, that can get a little bit frustrating, but I don't know. I just really like that level a lot.
1: Yeah, it is one of the better levels, for sure.
0: Yeah. My other favorite's The Undead Settlement, uh, which is basically because Bloodborne's my favorite game in the series. Um, you know, as my Elden Ring playthrough is incomplete, Bloodborne is still my favorite game in the series, and this feels like a Bloodborne level. These enemies feel like Bloodborne enemies. It's just that it's not nighttime. If it were nighttime, this would be a straight oh, yeah. up Bloodborne level. So I really dig oh, it. Oh yeah,
1: for sure. Like the dudes even have like pitchforks and torches, like in Bloodborne, like it's very, very Bloodborne. They even
0: make the, like the death sounds, the sound effect, like that, that gurgling, like scream, they do that in this one.
1: Yeah. And they have some, like a giant pyre going in the middle of a bunch of them too.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um those uh, those channelers are super creepy. They come up and smack you with their Bible or shoot bees at you. It's a uh,
1: give you a death hug. Yeah,
0: yeah. Those are man. That level is very cool. Terrible uh, terrible boss in that level, I think. But cool cool level to go through.
1: The only reason like it's l- lower on my list is because of there's no one path through it. Yeah. So seeing everything is like kind of like a weird how do I want to tackle this kind of order of operations mm. that never quite feels good?
0: I I liked, but, um, several sections in there where you like go up an elevator and you step off where, where, um, what's his face is where secret is. And you're like, Holy shit. There's a oh, whole yeah. other section of the level over here. That's cool. Like there's a lot of those. Oh, yeah. Like that here. stuff
1: is real cool. Yeah. But like, I'm more thinking like the, like there's, I want to say like three paths to get to the boss and yeah. they're yeah. all kind of exclusive from each other. Mm-hmm. So like if you go down one spoke, if you want items or whatever, that's on the other spoke, you just have to backtrack and go through it again.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I can agree with that, but I, I have such a good time exploring in these games that that's yeah. never going to be like, Oh, you know, this terrible you know thing that's become of me i have to go explore some more dark souls spaces um i'm always up for that
1: oh no yeah like that that's still good because it's still exploring in dark souls it's just it doesn't feel as elegant as something like you know the cathedral or yeah though
0: yeah i can i can totally get behind that Uh, Let's wrap up the spoiler section with uh, talking about bosses and our experience with that, since that's such a big experience in these games. So let's start off by talking about our deficiencies and uh, (laughs) the bosses in this game that you think are or that are, are like walls for you personally, things that you thought were just super, super difficult.
1: Um, the big standout for me is champion Gundyr from the return to the cemetery. Like I know for a fact that I probably had trouble with a lot of bosses my first time through, but no matter what, like this one feels a, it stands out the most in terms of like, what did I get stuck on? When I look back on my first playthrough, Mm -hmm. he's the only thing that stands out. And it's like a sore thumb. Same. He is ridiculous um
0: another one of those that is so fucking relentless that you yeah cannot i can't imagine playing this as a pure like ranged fighter because he'll
1: i can't imagine doing this at all unless you're parrying (laughs) yeah like i couldn't find any kind of window to attack him at all like this is the one time where like i've decided to myself like i have to parry because there's no other option
0: Uh uh-huh yeah uh Pontiff Sullivan was the one in this game where I was like, I'm not gonna beat him unless I just suck it up and spend five tries learning to parry him. That's how I beat Pontiff uh-huh. Sullivan. Champion Gunder, I couldn't get the parry window down, and his combos are so deadly that if you miss that parry, he's gonna combo you to death. Uh-huh. So both times I've beaten him is because I summoned the uh the swordmaster, the NPC summon who does surprising work against him. And I was able to just like throw fireballs from a distance.
1: I didn't even know he was summable for that fight. I think it's because I always kill him.
0: (laughs) Oh, Oh, I kill him too. Um, you can still summon him, uh, in there. Oh
1: man. I, I, I guess I've just never seen the sign then.
0: Yeah. It's, well, you have to be, of course you have to be embered. There's, you're kind of discouraged from being embered because there's an NPC invasion right before that um but you're right dude champion gunder is now that i've played the game twice i'm comfortable i'm comfortable saying it's the hardest boss for me in the entire base game
1: yeah 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 for sure
0: um i had so many wall bosses my first time like i couldn't beat dancer by myself the first time i played um nameless king absolutely not by myself though my second try, I was just maybe better at it. Uh, Nameless King was a mm. lot of fun, um, but uh, Pontiff Sullivan was another one where, like, my first time, I just couldn't do it by myself. And uh, my second playthrough, the uh, the Abyss Watchers were incredibly hard for me. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I, I probably fought them more times than any boss in the entire game. Oh, man. I don't know what it is. Cause they're not, it's not that hard. I was just like, I don't know. It was, I think it, that's one of the first checks of like, are you actually ready to play this game? Cause it's, it's still fairly early in the game.
1: Oh, yeah. It, it definitely ramps up after them, but I don't remember. Like I said, like champion Gunder stands out so much as something I had trouble with. Like, I can't even think of anything else that I didn't like nothing. That was a wall everything was like oh i had to try a couple times but i did get it yeah
0: yeah when like, i when i um, when i say a wall i mean like i fought the abyss watchers like 30 times
1: yeah yeah uh i could definitely i saw it happen later on like different builds like with the dragon slayer armor my caster build had a real tough time with him uh, oh, mostly yeah, just cuz i didn't have the defense and the hp to i just didn't have the stats to like stand up to him for very long
0: mhm yeah
1: but in terms of something that's like always an issue, like the main one is champion Gundir.
0: Yep. Yeah. And I think if I replayed the game on a different build, I would probably still have trouble with him. And I would, I would be like, okay, I know the Abyss Watchers more now. I, I don't think it's going to take me 30 mm-hmm. more tries to beat the Abyss Watchers. It's probably still going to take me a long ass time to beat champion Gundir.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So, how about bosses that other people have trouble with that you like just put a little feather in your cap and say, Yeah, this I didn't have that bad a time
1: for me. It's consistently the Nameless King, actually. Yeah, and I think it's because I take a different approach to him than a lot of people do, and it's that I don't dodge him. My main strategy for him is to get the Dragon Slayer armor great shield, oh, right, get the strength to use it. Because that has high, high, high uh, lightning defense Mm -hmm. as well as perfect physical defense. So you can hold the shield and weather through his combos with like barely taking any damage. Yeah. And so you're in a prime position to punish him once he's there because the main issue with dodging him is you have to recover from the dodge frames before you can attack. Right. And so that kind of slows down your attacks. But like if you just block him, you're just like, bam, hit him again then block bam hit him again and block and uh if you already have the stats for the great shield like he's not doing a lot of damage to your endurance he's barely doing damage to your health and so like that's my main strategy for him and it's never been an issue
2: i think
0: my first playthrough i think i just psyched myself out because of the reputation nameless king has and Mm -hmm. you know i tried it he killed me you know, five to 10 times. And then I was like, okay, time to summon help. And we beat him, you know, first or second try. And then my most recent playthrough where I was like, I'm going to beat all the bosses by myself, except for champion Gundir." the way it played out. Um, I think I beat nameless King within 10 attempts. And I would say that I died just as many times against the first phase as I did the second phase.
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's, he's one of the issues with multi-phases I that just shouldn't be there.
0: The first phase is really annoying because I may, um, I play locked on unless the game like, you know, kicks me in the face and says, Hey, unlock the camera, you idiot. So like, yeah, I have a lot of camera problems in the first phase, um, playing locked on, but yeah, the, this, his combos when in the second phase, his combos aren't that bad. Like he it's like, you know, two or three swings, and then there is a couple sword hit opportunities, and then dodge out and reassess. And I was playing Pyro too, so anytime he was far away, just throw a quick fireball. Uh that yeah. helps too. Yeah, I just I don't agree with the idea that this is this like hate fuck punishing difficulty. It's just hard. It's it's really it reminded me of Fume Knight. Like Fume Knight is hard. Yeah fume Knight is fair you can learn fume Knight, and i think you can learn the nameless king i don't feel the same way about champion gundir i think he's way too aggressive too relentless too many combos yeah um champion gundir has all these moves that like stagger you too he'll hit you with a shoulder bash that knocks you off your balance and stuff
1: Yeah. yeah yeah like i don't know how like i think it's mostly just uh theming and narrative as to why nameless king got all this attention as like this like challenge boss mm-hmm. when for me like champion gun here has always been the bigger obstacle
0: same same here yep um
1: but like it it's real easy to draw attention to nameless king because of who he is to the fandom uh because uh the story behind him is that he's the lost son of Gwyn. the final boss from the first game. Right. Which, you know, that was a big mystery in the first game when, like, the loresters were digging through it and everything is like, who is this son that we might meet, never meet? Some people thought it was Solaire. Right. Like, (laughs) so so here's this thing, like, question finally being answered. So the spotlight's on him for that. And he's a tough fight. So I think that's where a lot of the reputation of, like, his fight came from.
2: Right. And
0: he's he's dangerous. His moves are dangerous. They hit hard, but... They're pretty easy to tell, you know, his most, his strongest attacks are like the, you know, he does this thing, he slams his thing, his spear in the ground and then lightning comes down. That's not so hard to get out of the way of, um, he has this big AOE lightning spell, uh, around him. That's pretty easy to tell, you know, get out of there, heal, something like that.
1: Yeah. A large part of like fighting him quote unquote, the right way is that a lot of his combos have multiple ending points. So like the same animation chain can do two hits. It can do another four hits. Like, Mm -hmm. so judging when the combo ends, I think is where it catches a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're dodging him, like you don't know when to stop dodging until he's already done attacking. Like there's no set. Okay. He does this move, then this move, and I can attack all the time.
0: Yeah. Dark souls three has this issue where, a lot of bosses will wind up for their attack, but they won't attack at the same time consistently too, like you see the animation start, so you dodge. but a lot of bosses like they can hold on to that, wind up a little bit longer than you expect, and then they can hit you, and that's kinda kind of shitty. I feel like Nameless King probably has moves like that. I know the Gun have moves like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I wrote down that I don't really have issues with that some people have said is really hard is, uh, Lothric and Lorien. I think that fights fairly easy once you learn the moves. Um, that's one where after I beat it, I put down my summon sign and helped, you know, five or six people do it afterwards. Yeah.
1: Uh, that fights a lot of fun once you're like in the groove of it. Um, The timing on the second phase, which is when, you know, you're starting with just fighting a dude with a sword. Second phase is dude with the sword, his little brother's riding on him like Yoda (laughs) and shooting spells at you. So, you know, it's the timing of the additional dodges and looking out for those spells that usually gets me like I have to get used to it again. But once I'm back in that mindset, it's a real fun fight.
0: Yeah, it's... It's not a fight that I think most people are going to like beat on their first try. Which is uh-huh. a handful of the the fights in Dark Souls Three I beat on my first try, just because they're not so tough. Or like you could, I could see how someone could like beat the dancer on their first try, or something yeah. like. I don't really see. I don't see you surviving this fight on your first try. You have to learn the spells and the teleporting moves and stuff like that. But after that, I, I pretty much, um, yeah, find it to be not so bad and a lot of fun. Yeah. same. That leads me into, I want to do a quick, like top three favorite bosses. Um, and that's, I'll just say that that's the third one on my list, Lothric and Lorian. I love the, like, just the little self-contained story within the boss fight of like, you know, you're fighting, um, shit. Lorian's the one, the big one, right? I think
1: I always forget which one's which <laughs> I always just call them the twin princes.
0: right? You're fighting, you're fighting the big one who is, um, you know, very obviously not okay in several different ways. Um, oh, yeah. and, uh, yeah, you fight him and then I will say that Lothric is the small one. Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, he kind of revives him, jumps on his back, and then it turns into this, you know, you have to be aware of where you're attacking and not just like attack any chance you get. It's, I mean, you can do that, but it's going to take longer to beat him.
1: Yeah. It's something real cool about that fight that the gimmick behind it is because your target is the one that's on the back. Right. And so that's the one you need to be attacking And the game takes account like where you're hitting the model. So because it has two health bars, one for the back one for the front and your objective is to drain the back only. So you can do the whole fight only attacking the back and never touch the front guy. You know, once you're in that phase.
0: Yeah. And if you, if you kill uh, the big one, you'll have a a good opportunity to do some real damage to the small one when he's reviving the big one again. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to do it that way. You can just like attack from the back and you'll get it done pretty quickly. I don't know. I I think it's really fun. Uh, the gimmick is interesting and, uh, like gameplay wise, it's more fun than a lot of like dark souls gimmick bosses
1: get. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's real good.
0: How about you? What's your number three?
1: For me it's the cursed Greatwood, which you said earlier wasn't one of your favorite ones.
0: Yeah, not one of my um, favorites. All right, give it to and me and this Why? is
1: it's entirely <laughs> because of theming. Like I think mm-hmm. it's so funny that you have to attack <laughs> pustules on this dude to damage yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Which is something else that like the game does differently is like there's a bunch of bosses that have specific weak points on like these large models right. that you're supposed to go after. Like it's here, it's Wolnir. Mm -hmm. uh but a big part of that is also his animations because you get you know your standard sweeping attacks because it's a giant dude you get the stomps but you also get like these weird things where like he curls up in a ball and just kind of rolls around yep (laughs) like and it's so weird and awesome that like he just on that kind of stuff alone he's like one of my favorites
0: he, he has another one, right, where he just kind of just like sits down, just kind of like plops down. And if you yeah. get stuck there, it'll it'll do some pretty heavy damage to you.
1: Oh, yeah. And then in like halfway through the fight, he grows like a Majora's mask arm out of his face. Yeah. And it's pretty <laughs> great.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't understand why any of that is happening the way it is in that fight, but it is it is funny. I'll, I will agree with you there. It's charming mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. My number two is kind of continuing with that that theme. My number two is Wolnir uh, because it's just such a cool spectacle of a fight. It's not super interesting as a, you know, mechanical boss fight, but this giant skeleton trying to claw his way out of the abyss, Uh, you can only hurt him by attacking his bangles uh, that he's wearing.
1: Yeah, I... Will admit, like, I legitimately jumped the first time I did that fight because it starts pitch black.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: There's a
1: one shiny item in front of you. You go get it, and then all of a sudden, giant skull face looking down at you.
0: This is a series, Dark Souls series, and a developer that is all about skeletons in video games. And I think this is skeletons, skeletons. Yeah. (laughs) This is a top level skeleton right here. Walnir is for uh, sure great. Uh, and again, very easy. I don't, I think I only died to him one time. Cause I was like trying to figure it out and you can run out of space and like the abyss will encroach up on your like arena if you take forever. Um, mm-hmm. but it's a very easy fight in the scheme of things, but just pure spectacle. I love it. Yeah. What about you? Number two. Uh,
1: number two is the crystal sage, okay. uh, In both forms in which you fight him, because you fight him twice. Right. Once as just a straight-up boss, which is a real cool, like, caster fight, Mm -hmm. because he's, you know, shooting spells at you, teleporting around. At his halfway mark, he starts producing clones of himself.
0: Yeah. Very Zelda.
1: Yeah. Which I think is what I latched onto, is, like, it's a very very not-from-but-very-video-gamey-cool fight. Yeah. Yeah. The second part of it is they recontextualize him in such a cool way in that Mm -hmm. he shows up in, I should have put this in my favorite levels, the Grand Archives.
0: Yeah, that's another great one.
1: Which is another great, like, looping back to one fire kind of level. But it's crisscrossing platforms on this big library, and the whole time you have the Crystal Sage at a vantage point on you, shooting Mm -hmm. spells and harrying you, which... You know, I don't know if the game counts him as a boss fight, but if it is, it's like a real cool one because of that.
0: Yeah, I like it in the um I like it in the archives a little bit more than I like the regular boss fight because I think without it the archives would be pretty unremarkable from a, you know, enemy standpoint, but mm-hmm. for most of your time through that level you're constantly you got these soul arrows being shot at you all the time, and so you have to um, just constantly be looking for cover and constantly be like picking your spot for like, okay, when can I dash up and yeah. try and attack this guy? And I, I really like that.
1: Uh, a lot of your cover in the archives too is dangerous to you because it has like the ghost hands that That's reach right. out to you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like it, it's one of those things, like it feels built to be a good level. And then they added him, but at the same time feels built around him.
0: Right. Yeah, it's good. I agree. And like the the regular boss fight version of it is pretty fun. Like uh, like I said earlier, kinda of just reminds me of a Zelda boss, but with Dark Souls mechanics. Um mm. and yeah, I enjoy it. Uh yeah. Uh my number one, my favorite boss is uh Gale. Even though he is emblematic of the HP bloat problem, I just yeah. And I think he's one of the most difficult bosses in the game. Every Dark Souls game has one boss that is usually a dude with a sword that I just get into this, like, zone of, like, this boss fight's going to take me 35 tries to do, but every time I'm going to get that little bit better, I'm going to learn a little (coughs) bit. In Dark Souls 1, it was Artorias. In Dark Souls 2, it was Fume Knight. And in Dark Souls 3, it's Gale. Uh, I really love fighting and learning gale i just wish he didn't have so much hp like other if he didn't it would be like clearly my favorite boss in the game as it stands it's just number one on this list that i made up you know 15 minutes ago um i really like that fight though really like it
1: yeah that's exactly how i feel about him as well like if he had like a quarter of that hp less he would be such a good fight
0: And if he didn't have that stupid cape that does stupid chip damage on you, that that's kind of lame, but yeah, I I I really love that. fight.
1: Huh? (laughs) I even like the cape. Okay. I think the cape is pretty cool because it's very, uh, Maria esque of like, here's an addition to a sword swing. Here's this weird effect.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's annoying, but it's just something you have to learn. If you just pop your shield up, it's not a big deal. Um, yeah. I love the crossbow. A lot of people like get mad that he pulls out a automatic crossbow. I dig it. But yeah. <laughs> uh how about you, number one?
1: Number one for me in this game is the Abyss Watchers, actually. Okay. Uh just because of how unique it is and also how well designed and familiar it is, because it's another dude with a sword on like the most basic level. Right. Uh, the fight starts, you're fighting one-on-one with this guy who has, you know, a player, pretty close to a player moveset. Yeah. And as the fight goes on, like, other members of the Abyss Watchers start popping up off the floor, which, like, the floor is littered with all their corpses. Mm-hmm. So, one pops up, and you think, okay, this is kind of like a DS1 Gargoyle situation, you know, like, all of a sudden he has a helper, and I just have to adjust for that. Then number three comes up and you're thinking, okay, three on one real fair. And then the third one starts attacking the other guys. Right. And it's this weird thing of like, how long does, like, I've never lasted longer than like four of them, but it's like this weird mix of everyone's fighting everybody. You have to watch who you're attacking. Cause you can hit both the guys quote unquote, helping you mm-hmm. and the ones that are enemies. And, they can just decide to stop helping you and start attacking you. Yeah. Uh, it's this real cool twist on a dual fight, which is something they do a lot of, but still somehow this one is still very unique.
0: Yeah. All right. So I, like I said, I fought these guys like 20, 25 times. in so my most recent <laughs> playthrough. So I got very familiar. Um, the one that will fight on your side in air quotes, that's a, it's a dark wraith, Right. Uh, or is it just another, no it's still just another watcher. it's still an
1: abyss watcher but i think he's abyss touch like okay. he has the red eyes that's
0: that maybe that's why so that one will attack you if you get too close to yeah. it yeah it will just yeah. turn around and, and i'm like hey buddy hey whoa, 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 whoa. we're on the same side here like you know back off doesn't care no so i had to man this so i was playing as my my pyro character and this was just such an annoying fight for me this time because i basically had to kite them in such a way that two of them would like the the abyss one and the boss one the one that didn't have the boss health bar so they would be fighting each other and then i could get the other one the one that had the boss health bar to follow me to the other side of the arena all the while i'm trying to throw fireballs and stuff like that and then i would have like 10 seconds of duel time before the other one, one of the other ones killed the one they were fighting and would run over and mess up my duel. And uh-huh. it was just like, I had that. It took me a while to get through that without wasting any Estus. Cause this is early in the game. You don't have a ton of Estus. Yeah. So I had that basically perfected, but it would take like five minutes to get to phase two And I fought this so many times, it just got really annoying. And then Phase 2 is a lot more dangerous. And, yeah, I just had a really hard time. I do dig, like, the story and the lore of these guys. I just, like... And I don't even think my first playthrough I had such a hard time with it. It's just this most recent one. Whatever it was, maybe, like, up until that point, I was just coasting on pure, like, Dark Souls familiarity, you know? like vort's not that hard all the enemies in the levels you can just kind of if you've played it for hours and hours and hours like we have you can just kind of like bash your way through the levels you know stun locking everything you come across but these this is like your first like skill check like are you taking this shit seriously maybe i wasn't
1: (laughs) yeah because he he they could be like the third boss you fight yeah
0: and it was for me
1: yeah see um So it could even just been a stats thing of like, you weren't doing the amount of damage you should have been or whatever, but like that chaos of the first one is so good, especially in contrast to the second phase where it becomes just a straight up duel. like all their power or whatever goes into a single one of them. And he has still the same moveset, which is cool. Like it's not a whole brand new moveset you have to learn, but it's, you know, super powered.
0: Right. Yeah. Maybe that was because this is that point in the game I talked about. This is the main fork where you can either go do this stuff or you can go to Cathedral of the Deep. And like Mm -hmm. the Deacons of the Deep are much easier than this. So, yeah. Maybe I just because I did this first because I was just following the path and I wasn't reading like doing my usual Fextra life, like recommended game progress route wiki uh, that I normally do maybe I did just come to this a little bit too early, but I got it done, you know, after 25 tries, it's a cool fight. I'm not like, I'm not saying that this sucks like a, a couple of them, yeah. but I just had a really, no, hard it could be frustrating. Yeah.
1: Like, like there's so much randomness to it. Like it can go bad a lot of yeah. ways,
0: especially when all three of them are aggroed on you. And you're like, this isn't how this is supposed <laughs> yeah. to be. Get away from me. Yeah, man. Cool. Um, yeah any bosses that you think are just horrible and suck real bad
1: uh everything in the d l c yeah <laughs> i was uh
0: i was pretty i was pretty okay with demon princes my first playthrough and on my replay i fucking hate those and that's where i stopped playing the ring city
1: yeah uh I, I uh excuse me demon princes has a real real bad HP problem, especially if you summon in, which you're kind of encouraged to do because the fight starts with two of Mm -hmm. them. But once it moves on to the second phase of like fighting the super demon prince or whatever, like all three of us were attacking all at once and barely moving the health bar. Like it's crazy.
0: Yep. It sucks. Um, I, yeah, I don't like that. I think Medeer is, cool visually but not fun at all to fight
1: i've yeah i've never even finished fighting him like i he's the one souls boss like i legitimately gave up on because like there's there's no fun in it for me
0: the only time i beat him i summoned in help and the person i summoned in basically soloed him even with the extra health and i just like i just like tried to stay alive this person i summoned in was like a superstar they fucking wrecked him and i was just like you know, trying my best just to stay alive. So this guy could do his thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Medeer sucks. Um, I, uh, we, we kind of mentioned this earlier. I hate, uh, sister freed. I think that fights terrible. Oh, I hate that fight just so much. much.
1: Yeah. Uh, especially with all like the problem with all of these is like, you have to go through every phase Yeah, and like her, Phases are so ridiculous. Like, the first phase has the invisibility thing going on, which, you know, I mentioned this earlier, is in another game and done better. Mm-hmm. Her second phase has this big, weird mass of hair that can block everything, like, visually. Like, she can hide in his model. Like, he can suddenly <laughs> take up the whole screen. Yeah. And, like, he. And smash you down in like two hits and come out of nowhere. Because for whatever reason, he's still fast. And then the third phase is worse, Spuria.
0: <laughs> yeah. The third, if you just took the third phase and made that the last boss of the DLC, it would still be incredibly difficult. But the fact yeah. that you have to do the first two phases every time, just like by the time you get to that third phase, my nerves are frayed. I'm already mad. I'm not able to be in like that Zen state that you have to be in to beat some of these really hard bosses. It just, uh, and like you said, it's taking something from a game from bloodborne that was done much better in bloodborne. The thing that made Maria cool was Maria has all these phases, but Maria doesn't get a bunch of new attacks in every phase. She just gets extra effects. So if you learn the first phase, you can beat the second and third phase It's not so bad, but, and it's all one health bar. Yeah. And Freed's are, she has three health bars and all three phases are very different from each other. It sucks.
1: Like there's some overlap in like her move animations, but they all get add on effects. They, she gets like new, like conical area of effect moves. She gets like an explosion move.
0: She has these frost moves, those black flames that are super hard to dodge.
1: Like you said in Maria, like everything that she upgrades follows logically. Right. Like she gets a sword swing. The sword swing now has like a wave to give it extra range. It's nothing too crazy.
0: Right. I don't know about parrying Freed, but like that's part of the thing that made Maria very doable for me is that you can parry her somewhat easily in Bloodborne. And in Dark Souls 3, it's a Bloodborne boss, but you can't parry as easily you don't have the stamina, it's yeah, it just sucks anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like we're going out on a pretty negative note here, but um,
1: but I, this game is awesome,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's like we said, the base game. I don't think there are any bosses in the base game that are really bad. I like, I don't like the soul of Cinder, I don't like fighting it, but it's not terrible, it's not unfair, it's just not that <clears> fun for me. The DLC is where we start into getting into this stuff where I'm like, man, this is just not fair. To beat Medir, you have to execute perfectly for like 15 to 20 minutes. That sucks. Yeah,
1: that's
4: ridiculous.
0: Same with Gale. Like, I, I really love Gale as a fight, but to beat him, you do have to be perfect for 10 to 15 minutes. That's not super fun. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool uh anything else about dark souls 3 you want to talk about before we say goodbye
1: good game it does feel very bookend of the series uh but i just think there's a lot of things it could have done better
0: yeah i think that's a good way to sum it up there are a lot of things that it could have done better at the end of the day still a very fun game yes we have some big complaints about some of the bosses, some of the fan service and stuff. But again, at the end of the day, good game. Fun game. You should play this yeah. if you like the Dark Souls series. This is more Dark Souls. And for sure. For most of the time it does feel like you're playing Dark Souls and not Bloodborne without Bloodborne mechanics. Like <laughs> <laughs> like at the end there. So cool. We'll wrap this up. Uh Adam, dude, thanks so much for talking for we're at about two hours and 45 minutes of recording here. Thanks so much for talking about dark souls three with me, dude.
1: Yeah. Not even a problem. I love this game. Like I love the series. So anytime.
0: So once again, thank you everybody for listening. If you've made our, uh, be on the lookout for a dark souls, three bosses tier list episode coming up as is tradition on the show. When we talk about dark souls games. So, uh, take be on the lookout for that again. Again, if this episode has been entertaining, if you've enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review on your podcast app of choice if it allows it, and stay tuned for the next game that comes out of the backlog.